hello. <laughs> hello, good evening, good morning, and good afternoon. Good day, good night, good <laughs> morrow. <laughs> I was right. trying to think of something. We're, we covered all bases for all time zones, for all listeners, for all things uh, wonderful, uh, especially with her locked files. Hello. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Um, if you have no idea what you've clicked on, uh, you are listening to the Her Locked Files, which is our true crime and gaming pop culture podcast. Uh, this is episode, say the number because I don't know, five? Five? I want to say five. I was actually trying to count in my head while you were talking, being like, I think this is number five. I think it's um, five. I think, I think it is five. five. I think you're correct. Let's go with five. Let's go with five. <laughs> the magic number. Um, yes. Oh, my gosh. But this is going to be uh, for the month of February. Um, and as we know, February is, is full of, like, love and hearts and, like, appreciation for for a significant other and all this great stuff. And while that's okay, uh, it's not our favorite part of it. I mean, it's all right. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but um, for anybody who's also followed numerous wonderful pop culture references, uh, if you like such things as Parks and Rec, you may know, like, Valentine's Day. And also, the, obviously, the Pawnee Goddesses, because I've been thinking about them because I have my Girl Scout cookies. So... Mm-hmm. Support your local Girl Scout troop, please and thank you. Um, but oh my gosh, Valentine's Day! <sighs> I love the ladies in my life. Ladies I love them so are much. the best. They are the best. It's taken I me a long time them. to come to that like realization. <laughs> I think well, because I think when you're younger, you're often taught by society it's, that like you're in competition, competition with yep. everyone who's female, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like. You're like catty towards each other and like it's just not fun. And so then like if you start to like get a lot of friends with guys, then you have this whole mentality of like, well, I'm not like other girls. I hang out with the dudes. I don't care for that drama. But then like you realize that one, guys are just as much drama, if not more. And two, (laughs) girls are awesome. You need girls in your life. Girl gang forever. Yes, 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 yes. Completely, completely agree. Oh, and and when did that happen? Did that happen last month? I don't even, I don't remember what time time phrase anything is. But last month we had some pretty ridiculous news about a very important girl in our lives. Yes. With both you and me. Yes. And that is immediately when we thought of what a better way to not only celebrate Valentine's Day but to also have a nice, succinct, bullshit, something, call this crap out, anything about, oh my God, just, just a what are they doing conversational with, with fuckery. Yes. What are they doing with Nancy Drew? I don't know. What are they doing? Okay. But this long-winded explanation that I hope gets edited out, but it won't, but that's fine, <laughs> <laughs> is to say... This is our love note for how much we appreciate the illustrious, the wonderful, the absolutely magnanimous, the magnificent, the fantastic, and the absolutely pivotal character of Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. Zoe and I love Nancy Drew. This was one of the first things that connected us. Yes. Oh, my God. 
This is one of the first things that connected us. Both at the video games, but also the pure iconic importance of such a an important literary and role model, literary figure and role model. Those were the words I wanted to say. Um, uh, that was very formative for most of our years uh, developing as as a wee lass. So, um, and and now, frankly, yeah. Um, well, it's still impactful. <laughs> it's still yes. it's still relevant. It's still. I mean, and and it's also it's it it itself is still relevant. I mean, like yes. we're gonna go into the details of this of this franchise and like really give you all the deets. But like, I mean, it's still like a thing today that's being discussed, produced, created upon, talked about. Yep. And sadly, it has been making us a little more angry than happy <laughs> as of late. And I can remember that. Just before we recorded January's episode, we Oh, it was saw, right before it. It was right before it. Oh my god, you're so right. <laughs> and we we I think we had a moment where we were like, do we change the episode? Yeah, we did. For January? We absolutely did. Do we need to talk about this now? And it was it was a little too late for that. Um yeah. but it was it was also a little raw. I don't think it would have been that. It would not have been as concise. (laughs) It would not have been as concise. It would have just been two angry girls screaming (laughs) into their microphones. I would have gone to edit it and been like, um. We have a solid 15 minutes of good content. The rest of it's just screaming into the ether. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So, so we all, but we did discuss the fact that we were like, all right, well, you know, next month's episode is going to be all about this. We're going to go yes. into it. We're going to get into it. And, but we're going to, we're, this episode's going to be different from a lot of our other episodes. If you have been a, you know, continued fan of our podcast, not only do we love and appreciate you and want to buy you a fruit basket, um, <laughs> this episode might be, might be a little different, a little different than what you might be used to. We've, we've gone very dark. We've gone very spooky. We've gone very, um, yep. horrific in some yep. moments. We've talked a lot about true crime. We've talked a lot about urban legends and some gory and not so nice topics either. Uh, so, or as well. So, this episode's going to be a little more opposite to that because we're talking about, you know, a literary franchise. We're talking mm-hmm. about something that... A powerhouse. May, yeah, a powerhouse. But we're talking about something that doesn't necessarily have to do with murder. Um, but but there is a murder in it. Yes. And that's and that's where the crux of our frustration is, because that's where some shit seems to be leading. And and oh my god, there is but, yes, there is, yeah. there is the topic of murder yes. that initially set this fire <laughs> in us, um, <laughs> set this set this train into motion. Basically, um, you're here for the wreck. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we need the sound effect of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um so but, but this this is a little to... different oh, than Oh no, it's just it's a little different than our last episodes. It's it it's going to be different. more of a conversation. It's less of a story. Yes. We're not going to we're we're still going to take turns giving you guys some some background. 
Um, but we're definitely going to be more conversational this time around. We're going to be more yeah. discussion-based. Yep. We're talking mostly about pop culture and not totally about t- true crime. Yep. Um, but these are, again, mystery series, so I feel like it's still, you know, in our wheelhouse. Um, and I, I did definitely find a rabbit hole, um, so that's always nice. fun. Nice. Um, I did find a rabbit hole not only about Nancy Drew, but mostly about uh, how she was created and and some drama that actually ensued uh, from that from a literary perspective, because that is where all of her foundation is based, is in the wonderful uh, series of books that she has that has that has continued uh, through today um, that that hasn't that hasn't been a medium that that has stopped um, at all, uh, regardless of what people think and regardless of her jettison um, into into different mediums, uh, including a new TV show that's coming out soon. Yeah. Or another one. Are you talking about the CW one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's already out. That's the one that's already out. It's weird. Yeah. I'll say it's weird. Uh, So is Riverdale. But I honestly, I liked it. So It, it vibes with Riverdale, but it doesn't vibe with Nancy Drew. Oh, in my opinion. Well, that's interesting because I, I, yeah, there, there's. Some but then again, I only watched too. like half of the first episode, <laughs> and I was like, I don't feel like I'm watching Nancy Drew. I feel like I'm watching Riverdale with all of the names changed. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, yeah. She, she uh, Nancy Drew has been a character that has very easily adapted um, to different time periods, uh, and I think some purists will say that that hasn't always gone very well. Um, but I think that in terms of of making it adaptable to the modern um, to the modern girl and the modern woman, and and kind of adapting at least to some level of 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 more modern femininity. Um, I think that she has done um, some pretty some pretty good uh, transformations with that in terms of how they've how they presented her. That's um, fair. But also, I think there's there I do I do have a little section uh, in my part to also address some of the glaring flaws um, that are with uh, also the Nancy Drew series um, and kind of everything that that encompasses around it. And this is this is less prevalent for the games and more on the literary perspective. Cause I, I feel like, I feel like the different, the digital mediums uh, took a lot more liberties, um, especially when it came to, to race representations uh, than any of the books ever did. Oh um, yeah. Which, which has been in my opinion, that the better, <laughs> the better adaptations, cause it's more realistic instead of just having, you know, everything just be super whitewashed and, and nothing be uh, at all different ever. Um, so true yeah i i don't i didn't get a rabbit hole with mine mine's just me being very upset with <laughs> gaming and the industry and it's and in and as some is two people who have definitely played most of that series um i played all of them except for i think three um and four actually now including salem um that i you know it's it's definitely something that's that's near and dear and also something that they are just actively fucking up um yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, i mean as someone who's played 32 out of the 33 yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) whoo it's a doozy um but i'll i'll let you start since we gotta start at the beginning we have to start at the beginning we gotta start at where where she came from how she started how she got here 
exactly that is de definitely uh definitely where the bulk of my my rabbit hole is um so oh my gosh we will start with the inception of the nancy drew character and i'm gonna have to go all the way back to even pre-1930 which was when the first book uh was released um, and uh, to start, I have some shocking news for those of you who don't already know. Uh, the author, Caroline, Caroline Keene, of the Nancy Drew series is not actually a real person. In reality, Caroline Keene is a pseudonym uh, for a bunch of different ghostwriters who over the decades um, wrote and contributed to the entire Nancy Drew series from 1930 to 2003. Uh, in total, that is 175 novels out of the entire Nancy Drew original book series. There were a couple other spinoffs. I'll go into them later. Um, but to start, we're going to mostly talk about the original uh, book series uh, that, that was during that entire uh, period. So it is forever uh, noted by enthusiasts and literary historians alike that there is one pivotal figure who defined the Nancy Drew character that we know and love. And that is indeed the first author of the series and an absolutely inspiring lady uh, who was responsible for 23 novels out of the series, Mildred A. Ritt Benson. Yeah. Yeah. Mildred Augustine was the first woman to ever graduate from the School of Journalism uh, from the University of Iowa. She also received the university's first master's degree in journalism. Uh, while a student there, she had numerous short stories published in magazines um, local magazines around there, and many of the stories sold. Many of the stories that she sold were written by and in her English class, where her professor told her that she has no potential to ever be an author, and gave her a B. Wow. Yeah, I'm just gonna start that off as a nice little fuck you. Uh, I also also have in parentheses for that cute, cute, <laughs> because after you hear her entire literary prowess, you're gonna be like, oh boy, he was wrong. Also, All I right. love how, like, not being able to have a career still gets you a B. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Like, if if you, if, if a B <laughs> is you're never going to have a writing career, what the fuck is a C? <laughs> like, oh, you God forbid you get house. a D. Like, God yeah. forbid. Like, you, like, what? Did you write your paper in crayon and it's got, like, four <laughs> words? Like... I mean, what what is the what is the, the standards here? I have no clue, especially the 1930s. Who knows? But I think maybe that was an act of trying to intimidate someone, especially being the first woman to graduate from the School of Journalism. It could have been a sexist thing. It could have totally yep. been a sexist thing. But also, a B? <laughs> like, not that bad. Not that bad. I'd take it. <laughs> My The perfectionist in me is going a little, eh. I don't know what I what could I do better but at the same time the feminist in me is going yeah fuck you too so Fair. I yeah. think if I had gotten all A's up until that point then yes I'd be very upset but as someone I who would, got yeah. generally A's and B's I, yes. I accept my B's when I get them I did I did have quite I did have quite the culture shock in college when I got like my first C and I was just like oh wait but I'm in college it's supposed to be hard it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but also that's when I also left uh uh, biochem and was like nah mm, nope i'm good i'm gonna go to social sciences bye <laughs> bye <laughs> which i don't regret to this day um so having taken a year between degrees to work as a general reporter um, and society editor at the clinton herald she read an ad in a trade publication requesting authors to write books for children 
finding this of interest, she traveled all the way to New York for an interview. She actually went there in person. She didn't have to, but she did. Damn. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and there is when she met Edward Straitmeyer, uh, who was hiring writers to produce books in various series that he was overseeing. Um, he was, uh, uh, previous to this, he was in, or growing up, he was an editor to, uh, to Horatio Alger, um, who was a literary legend from the 1800s. Um, and he specialized on how to, uh, make stories for kids about, like, this is how you grow up. This is how you, it was, it was a lot of success stories and, and inspirational. Um, and it was, it was, it was like Oliver Twist with a happier ending, um and then like dabbled in satire of like mark twain oh so, so he did get that second bowl of he did he did and he, he grew up to have a good middle class living because that is what each and every one of these books always ended with of your life sucks maybe when you're a kid but don't worry if you keep your nose to the grindstone you'll have you'll you'll own a house in no time it's just it's yeah it's there just all go. this gung-ho like like stuff but um but it, he was wildly successful uh and sort of started making this blueprint um on how uh to make uh countless titles for young folks so he really standardized the process of making um short stories in a series to keep them moving and to keep people attached to it um and to really have people invested in each and every story as it goes like every children's and young adult novel series in the world so, um, after a very successful interview, Straitmeyer requested that Mildred try to breathe new life into his faltering Ruth Fielding series. Uh, the Ruth Fielding series is um, about a girl uh, growing up as an orphan, um, and it ran from 19, or it started in 1913 and ran all the way till 1934. Uh, Straitmeyer was pretty satisfied uh, with some of the with some of the Fielding titles that Mildred had worked on, um, and uh, she had actually joined the series in 1927. Um, she, uh, she, uh, initially wrote eight titles, um, out of that series. And, uh, during that time, Straitmeyer had, was really impressed with a lot of the work that she was doing. Um, upon a completion of each title, so that's eight titles, uh, Mildred would receive a usual payment of a hundred dollars accompanied by a short type document to be signed by her. This release relegated the Straitmeyer all claims of authorship, plots, characters, and the names of Alice B. Emerson and Ruth Fielding. So essentially, he said, I'm going to pay you per book, but I'm going to own all the rights no matter what happens. And she had to write under the name Alice B. Emerson, and she couldn't write under her, her own name. Now, don't think that this was special treatment. He did this with every single writer that he worked with. Okay, so he just likes taking credit. <laughs> yes. Well, and that way he can control it, and that way someone, if they were to leave him, they can't take the stories with them. Oh, I guess that's um, fair, because he's the so one bringing it, in these writers, so. Right, and he's the one funding them, he's the one that makes it, and $100 back then was a pretty good chunk of change. Um, that, that was almost her, um, that, I, think, I think they said that was like, that was like two-thirds of her yearly income at that oh, point wow. as a reporter. Okay. So she, she was doing okay. She, she was doing okay for herself. Um, so additionally, Benson started working on the Ruth Darrow Flying Series, um, which was under uh, a company called Barson Company. The Darrow character came, out, uh, came about because of a new interest in women's flying exploits. The character's name was inspired by Ruth Elder, who in 1927 was the first woman to attempt to, uh, flight across the Atlantic Ocean. 
Um, so this was kind of, you know, again, capturing the essence of the day, trying to make um, a lot of different literary characters out of real life women um, that were happening in order to get a lot of those children's attentions. Um, during this time uh, that Benson was writing for the Darrow series, Edward Statemer had contacted her asking if she was interested in beginning a new series of books for him. The Hardy Boys by Franklin W. Dixon had recently been put into the market as a new adventure mystery for young boys. Uh, this was written by Canadian journalist Leslie McFarlane, uh, who's a dude. Um, the series approved to be instantly popular, and Straitmeyer had immediately said, I need to make a similar set of books to be produced to target young girls. Straitmeyer felt that Benson's approach to the fielding books, as well as the, uh, the Ruth Darrow Flying series, was an indication that, he, that his new heroine would be in great hands, and this new character's name was to be Nancy Drew. Yes! Yeah! Straitmeyer's churn and burn blueprint for books produced through his office was to hire established authors to write texts from brief synopsises that were prepared by him. He would hand them index cards where a list of characters' names, their relationships, their relationships were listed between one another, and then a paragraph or two telling the essence of the intended plot. Choosing the pen name Caroline Keene, uh, his first plot choice for The Secret of the Old Clock, which is number one in the series, was to tell Drew was to tell of Drew's search for the missing will hidden hidden by one Josiah Crowley. Oh boy, <clears throat> Mildred! I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm I I got goosebumps even reading and redoing this one. So it was just <laughs> oh, it was amazing. So um, Mildred said the plot received. <laughs> um, Mildred said of the plot received, um, certain hackneyed names and situations could not be bypassed. Therefore, I concentrated on Nancy, trying to make a departure, uh, trying to make her a departure from the stereotyped heroine of the day. Never was Nancy patterned after a real person. She was changeable to the reader who projected her imagination to become Nancy. Nancy Drew, in essence, represented freedom for girls, which was a very new concept in the 1930s. And in 1930, girls were frickin' ready. Literary role models for young women were, in a word, paltry at best. Uh, that was a direct quote um, from her, by the way. <laughs> but Mrs. Benson insists that she didn't model Nancy Drew after her own experiences. This is another quote um, uh, from Mildred Benson. I didn't consciously make her like myself. I made her good-looking, smart, and a perfectionist. I made her a concept of the girl I'd like to be. Um, initially, Mr. Straitmeyer expressed bitter disappointment when he received the manuscript, saying the heron was too flip the heroine was too flip and wouldn't be well received. Uh, he sent Benson's manuscript, nevertheless, along to Alexander Grosset and George Dunlap, the publishers, um, the one of the largest publishers at that time, Grosset and Dunlap. Not sharing the same viewpoint as Stratmeyer, the publishers ate it up, requested that the same author prepare two more titles for the series. They immediately read it and were like, this is going to be a hit. We know it's going to be a hit. We need to make this more expensive. Right. We need to make this better. We need to make, we need to give the readers more or else they're going to be banging down our doors. And boy, were they right. Um, the two other manuscripts that they had asked for from Benson were The Hidden Staircase and The Bungalow Mystery. For those of you who are Nancy Drew fans, you may not know this. Those are the first three <clears throat> in the series. And The Hidden Staircase is most notably one of the best Nancy Drew novels out of the entire series and is in my opinion, the best book. Um, so all three of these were distributed simultaneously um, in a breeder set that was published in 1930. 
Benson's payment per book was $125, and all rights released were over, or all rights released over to Straitmeyer um, as as he required of all of his ghostwriters. Immediately, sales figures foretold the financial potential of the series, prompting a need for additional titles. The public, and especially the avid female young reader, was completely buying this left and right. Hell yeah! Yes. It was a very successful first launch. However, the book seemingly destined for star status almost met an early demise. Edward Straitmeyer died on May 10th in 1930. No! <laughs> he died very shortly after the release of all three of these books. Uh, and his organization that had been supplying all titles for much of the Grosset and Dunlap's inventory, including the Hardy Boys series, Tom Swift and the Bobsy Twins, panicked. They absolutely panicked. Uh, the publishers appealed to the Straitmeyer's daughters, Harriet and Edna. Um, the women who had, uh, or I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't end that sentence in a proper way. <laughs> the publishers appealed to the Straitmeyer's daughters, Harriet and Edna. Period. The women who had not been allowed to participate in their father's business dealings, I think you're seeing a pattern, um, took over his operations, forming what eventually would be called the Straitmeyer Syndicate. Original staff and ghostwriters were retained through negotiations by the sisters and at request of the Straitmeyer's principal publishing house, Grosset and Dunlap. Writing continued within each series with the same writers hired pre uh, previously, uh, so the churn and burn process was still in place, it was still on track, and the group dished out plenty of money to keep it that way. Mildred received a request for the next of the Nancy Drew series, um, for the next of the Nancy Drew series, uh, the next one in it was The Mystery of the Lilac Inn. Um, this title was most likely, most likely to be the last to depend on the plot devised by uh, Mr. Straitmeyer himself before his death. It was actually the last uh, cue card that he had left um, all of the organization. She dutifully wrote uh, three after that, so she's written four now, so she's written eight, in, or she's written seven in total. Um, and so she, wrote, so she wrote all of those um, and uh, making sure that she continued to add her wit and her Nancy Drewness to each page of the adventures. At the height of the Great Depression, uh, Benson received distressing news from one of the sisters, Harriet Straitmeyer Adams. I'm saying her full name, Harriet Straitmeyer Adams, because it comes into play later on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that payment for the next books would be reduced to $75 per manuscript. Disappointed, uh, Mildred declined the invitation to write the next three volumes in the Nancy Drew series. No! Uh, <laughs> Instead, <laughs> instead, Adams then enlisted the talents of another ghost writer, a war historian and bestselling novelist, Walter Kerrig. Um, this was also the first, uh, this was the first time the stories had left Benson's hands since their inception. He did just fine. It's okay. Yeah, but I, I guess. guess. <laughs> I no, guess. I, just, I, I know. I'm, like, clearly the series continued, so it's not like oh, it's Oh, very tanked, much so. so. But, but it was, but it was also one of those, like, again, this is very much a, the purists dive down really deep into this and being like, I can tell which ones are Benson, I can tell which ones aren't, and they get into this tit, -tit for tat thing, um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting the way that they set all of this up and the way that they have all of this. I think, I mean, it was absolutely fascinating to, to deep dive into, and I promise all of this has a point. Um, but also just to give you, um, you know, the power behind this is this was a series never really before seen. Um, and as we're also going to see, it's a series that became a blueprint for a lot of really, really, really great female-led series also um, down the line, also including Benson because she's a fucking badass. Yeah. Um, yes. So 
Uh, during her hiatus from the work with the syndicate, uh, Benson visited other publishing houses to sell a lot of her independent work. Um, after a good amount of work over a few years, the pricing arrangement with the Straitmeyer organization had leveled back to acceptable prices, back to the 125, and Benson returned back to the fold in 1934 to write The Clue in the Broken Locket and The Message in the Hollow Oak. Um, it was also that year that Benson received a book order to continue another Straitmeyer-owned series that had begun by someone else. So this is what they like to do. They just like to make sure that people just keep on writing. The K. Tracy Mystery Stories... Uh, with the nom de plure of Francis K. Judd, um, had its uh, had its first two titles written by children's author Anna Perot Wright. Benson would eventually write the next 11 titles, ending with The Sacred Feather in 1940. Uh, the K. Tracy Adventures were published again by Grossa and Dunlap, who were her staunchest uh, supporters and who kept saying, whatever you do, keep this lady in line, keep her here, she's awesome. Um, and even while this was going on, to show you the magnitude of the syndicate's operation, they asked her to do another series, which oh, is wow. another mystery group, which is the Dana Girls. I used to read the Dana Girls. Um, the Dana Girls were younger versions of Nancy Drew, so they were trying to uh, even get an even younger audience with this, solving mysteries between classes at a boarding school. In a twist, um, the author of the first four... <laughs> of their adventures was Leslie McFarlane, the same author of the Hardy Boys. Oh my god. Again, it is just it is just a game of chess and checkers when it comes to all this stuff. They are just all supporting each other, making sure these stories just keep on going. Uh tapping further into her, into her success, Mildred was requested to write manuscripts for all Dana Girls titles from 1936 all the way through 1954. Holy crap. Yep. Her prowess as a mystery writer and a young adult author was felt in many fam in many formative series along with her original conscripted work with Nancy Drew. In all, she would write for just a few series. I'm going to name them off. The Honey Bunch Books, Two Ring Mysteries. She even had her own mystery series named after her, the Mildred A. Benson. Uh, I'm sorry, it was at, at that point, it was the Mildred A. Ritt um, mystery series. This was She married twice. Um, so uh, the trailer stories for girls, Penny Nichols and Connie Carl, uh, a lot of strong female led novels and series uh, sparking the same type of Nancy Drew fire of independent, smart, resourceful girls doing a daring deed. Uh, Benson's most significant independent stories away from the syndicate um, and in her own name, she published this. She published this um, also through um, Grosset and Dunlap, but did not do it under the syndicate. Again, Grosset and Dunlap love her. Um, was the Penny Parker mystery series. And this is where the syndicate started noticing that they may want to go in a different direction. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. The Penny Parker mystery series strove for realism. It featured daring livewire hero uh, heroinism uh, from Penny Parker, who was the daughter of a newspaper editor and a girl with a real nose for news. These stories, um, with their glamorous newspaper background, unfold a series of baffling mysteries that led to the unofficial girl reporter and countless thrills and dangers. Titles such as The Clock Strikes 13, Hoof Beats on the, tur on the Turnpike, Saboteurs on the River, Guilt of the Brass Thieves, Signal in the Dark, Voice from the Cave, Swamp Island, and The Cry at Midnight. They were very, this was a very unusual genre that was focused on children. 
Um, so uh, they, it had a very solemn approach um, that used uh, that was very used to um, expressing the stress and the severity of war, because all of these were released from 1939 to 1946. Right. Um, a few of the books uh, of the era dealt with the black dealt with um, or dealt with such hard topics such as the black market sales, mine detection devices, uh, brass and gold brass and gold hoarding. Um, as well as other illicit type of things that weren't really talked about in a lot of younger fiction. Um, Pe Penny Parker encountered them all, and she did so flawlessly. Uh, even Penny Parker could not seem to overcome the popularity of Nancy Drew, however. Going as strong as ever, the Drew uh, girl uh, was still having her adventures written by Benson. However, in the post-war uh, post period, there was a change that had to become... that had. Oh my god, I just cannot read today. Uh, there was a change that had begun to come into the text of the books. The original volumes in the series that had been written from a paragraph-long plot line had slowly been um, been supplied in forms of pages and multiple pages. And eventually she was starting to be given an entire outline of the entire stories and then just told to fluff them up and make them sound like they were from Nancy Drew. Oh, no. Character development and inventiveness were phased out in favor for what was to be known as the Straitmeyer Syndicate's formula. Char chapter beginnings and endings were specifically defined, sometimes eaten, even fully written. The use of short words and sentences was stressed, and Straitmeyer sisters were becoming experts on how juvenile fiction should be written. Huh. I'm seeing a pattern in, uh, in Nancy in Drew behavior? formulas. Uh huh. In 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 how uh, we're taking we're taking something really good and then trying to make a formula out of it. It's huh. Like, it, huh. It's almost it's almost like my rabbit hole is gonna tie into what we're gonna talk about at the end. It, it's huh. almost it's almost like uh, people keep fucking ruining things. <laughs> it's almost like when they start putting putting their personal preferences and try to put money behind it or an ulterior motive, it fucking ruins things. But whatever, huh. it's fine. Wow. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, I love you. All right. <laughs> anyway, in the late 1940s, uh, the Nancy Drew mystery uh, ser uh, story series and the Dana Girls mystery story series began appearing in print with small with small alterations made by Benson made. Oh my God, made from Benson's original manuscripts. The first changes were barely noticeable. Discrete changes of word placement, numerous adverbs added, small deletions uh, here and there. By the time the 1970s came around. Or, I'm sorry, the 1947 came around. The clue in the old album was republished, and it had been altered so drastically that the entire original text had been rewritten. It was noticeable to the publishers at Grossup and Dunlap and Benson herself that someone was practicing how to write Nancy Drew. Mildred Benson received an order um, for The Ghost of Blackwood Hall in 1947, and that would be the last title of the series she would write until 1953, uh, which was the clue of the Velvet Mask. And eventually, Mystery at the Crossroads in 1954 would be the Dana Girl's last adventure and last book written by Benson for the Stratmeyer Syndicate. In 1959, uh, Grosset and Dunlap began publishing a new Secret of the Old Clock and the Hidden Staircase that was suddenly shorter in length, um, and they all uh, had subsequent updated titles bore the inscription on the copyright page this new book for today's reader is based on the original of the same title. 
Benson's earliest and original writing of the syndicate-owned titles was officially being phased out. On the average of two volumes per year, all original Nancy Drew titles by her have been rewritten to remove what the syndicate called objectionable material. Wait. I'm sorry, objectionable material. The character of Nancy Drew also underwent a dramatic change. The strong-willed teen was having her personality diluted, causing her to lose some of her characteristic independence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, sorry. There's, there's some good vindication at this, I there's, promise. There's a lot of similarities that are making uh-huh. me very antsy right now. Yep. Yep. So, so essentially, um, as, as the series grew... And as they had to republish some of the older titles, they chose to alter them significantly to fit the modern era. And I'm using a lot of air quotes when I say this, because uh, there is also, um, as they were still writing new books, they were writing them in this new style, but um, they, they started actually taking some of the older books and rewriting them to fit the newer style. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people can say that that's a big no-no, um uh they also say that it should have been a first edition second edition type of thing they should have tried to do something to differentiate that but of course because the syndicate doesn't want to acknowledge that there were different writers they just said hey because we own this we're just going to do it right uh during the period of the first revisions of the drew books the name of harriet adams minus the straight meyer for obvious reasons was beginning to be brought attention to the public it seemed that for years she secretly had been writing all these best-selling children's series books and was only now going public. Occasional articles said that the Hardy and Drew series had their first titles written by her father before his death, but then suddenly majority of all the press releases started stating that it was indeed she who was the sole author of both series. So that's trying to erase both Leslie McFarlane and Mildred Benson. Mildred Benson didn't say anything because well, she can't also doesn't that kind of like erase any of the ghost writers it under does. the under the syndicate because it's it does. like before they were just they were putting out these books under a pseudonym yep and like you kind of knew where they were coming from but you didn't know exactly who was writing them i mean it wasn't mm-hmm. like it wasn't obvious that they were having multiple ghost writers but like it was but their father never took credit for writing them. He just took credit for owning the ideas. That's correct. And so now his daughter's taking like full credit being like, I can totally write. One daughter is. One and daughter. To be f- and to be fair, Harry Adams did write some of the Nancy Drew series. She just did not write all of it and she wasn't the sole creator. Fair. So I want to give her her due, which I have no problem doing because it's true. Uh, but also, you a crazy bitch. So <laughs> sit, the hell, sit the hell down, please, and thank you. Um, so uh, so essentially, this started opening um, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, doors. Um, and uh, and there was a lot of uh, hubbub around this. 
Um, and uh, Mildred Benson uh, did not say a word uh, because she was legally sworn to secrecy by having signed the releases for all of her work. So there was no way of her to approach anything. Honestly, I also wanted to think that she thought that she was a better person than that and wanted to focus on most of her other work that she was doing. She was still writing during this time. She was still working as a reporter during this time. She was still contributing to her life as she meant it. Um, and uh, and she 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 didn't need the, 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 the fame. She was just pretty happy to just keep writing. So uh, this is when uh, shit got crazy. Then in a dramatic turn of events, uh, publishing history was turned sideways in 1979. All subsequent books, books in Straitmeyer Syndicate series were uh, announced to be published by Simon & Schuster in a new deal. That means the relationship between the syndicate and its longest partners, Grosset and Dunlap, the, uh, that had begun in 1914, was coming to an end. Uh, the reason for the separation still has never been made public. Uh, due to this, because they are their largest moneymaker, Grosset and Dunlap sued the syndicate and Simon & Schuster, and the syndicate, in turn, soon gross it and Dunlap. So it's going to turn into this hot, 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 hot mess. Um, and it was the start of a nasty battle that was about to ensue over the next couple of years. The loyal publishers had turned, uh, had turned, um, oh, the loyal publishers that had turned out the syndicate books for decades, who were known as the publishers and distributors for most young teen and young adult fiction, uh, were were essentially going to be run out of business. Because this was some of their this was some of their largest series that they that they that were supporting pretty much all of their jobs. Right. Um, so they were absolutely not going to leave this without a fight. Um, the lawsuit did not come under trial until 1980, um, and unfortunately, this was also a year of great celebration, because Nancy Drew was officially 50 years old, um, and was still as popular as ever. Harriet Adams and their new publisher Simon and Schuster decided to use this. Uh, as a lead-up into all of the court proceedings uh, to use that spotlight to just really show how important this was and how important it was for them to go to another publisher and how important it was not to tarnish and stall the greatness of Nancy Drew and, and kind of make sure none of this none of this was halted by, you know, being a nice person. Um, the festivities uh, for the 50th year anniversary received a ton of coverage, including large articles in Time, Newsweek, and the New York Times. Adams herself was interviewed even on NPR, which was actually never done up until that point for anybody from the syndicate. The National Endowment of the Arts was sponsoring a film documentary that was made by uh, Harriet Adams' grandson uh, in order to document how much of a national treasure she was for making Nancy Drew. Oh, Jesus. Yep. Uh, again, the name Mildred Benson was never mentioned among any of the other authors that were never mentioned uh just just ben or just adams just adams that's the only person that ever made any of this mm -hmm. all right then we finally came to may of 1980 where the united states district court opened the case of grossa and dunlap versus the straightmeyer syndicate uh present as grossa and dunlap's principal witness because they never gave up on her was Mildred yeah! A. Ritt Benson. Yeah. Yeah. Like a boss. Yeah. Like a boss. Woo. And it was hilarious because she actually found out about the impending trial from one of her fans uh, who came up to her and was just like, I love the Penny Parker series. And she goes, you do? That's great. And she goes, yeah, I hate what they're doing with the Nancy Drew series. And she goes, what's happening with the Nancy Drew series? And she explained what's happening. And she goes, oh, 
Well, that's wrong because I wrote those. <laughs> and that was the first time she said it, and that was just to a fan. The fan's like, you should go contact them. And Amazing. she's like, yep, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Amazing. So, yep. So Grosset and Dunlap uh, reached out to them and said, hey, we'd like to prove that Harriet Adams isn't the sole proprietor or creator of it. While the syndicate may own it, she's not the sole proprietor of it. And we'd like to to expose that during the court proceedings. And right. she said, no props. On opening day, Harry Adams, upon being introduced to Benson for the first time in a very long time, uh, it was reported that her first response to the author was, I thought you were dead. <gasps> yeah, she's a nice lady. And that makes it uh, better? <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and not to say, you know, is Leslie McFarland still alive at this point? Right. Is, you know, is Wright alive at this point? Are any of the other writers that you employed that you are now saying had nothing to do with any of the books that have given your you entire family its dead. fortune? You just like, think they're all dead. They're all dead. Like, what the hell? What the hell? They all died. So, <laughs> and then they all died. That's a good ending for a book. Um, well, on the witness stand, Benson was presented with numerous documents and letters which had been subpoenaed by the plaintiff's attorney, plaintiff being um, being uh, Gorsett and Dunlap. She was able to identify and verify all work releases that were signed by her, as well as numerous documents that proved the truth about her claims of authorship. Letters submitted included one from 1938, so that's just eight years after the first book, um, sent to Adams from attorneys uh, from Warner Brothers Pictures that uh, that was allowing her, or that was asking her to release the rights for the movie um, and making sure that they could be turned into a book without the potential of a lawsuit. The original releases she had signed um, had made no mention of any medium other than the written one. So they're basically saying they were trying to argue that she wrote the screenplay. In actuality, it says in the legal documents that she wrote this book. We want to use this book because she wrote it. Because she wrote it, we need her signature to say that it's okay to use this. So right. it was kind of the smoking gun that said, obviously, she, you know, Harriet Adams didn't write all of this. Um, another a letter was submitted to evidence um, the arrival of Nancy Drew to television had prompted the syndicate's attorney to also remind Benson that if she should make any claim on the Drew character, um, that legal action would be taken against her. So that's even from the syndicate's mouth saying after they reached out to her much, much later, um, saying, hey, we know that you wrote, you wrote this. Uh, this is another legal reminder in saying shut the fuck up and don't say anything. Um, so, uh, the trial had ended. The judge did find in favor of the Straightmire Syndicate, saying that they were allowed to move publishers, um, because they did, in fact, through legal, um, jargon and everything else, did contain, um, the content, uh, and therefore Simon & Schuster, uh, will be the new publisher of the Syndicate titles hereafter. Uh, Grosset and Dunlap did close, uh, shortly thereafter, um, uh, but um, that is where it remains today. Simon & Schuster, who also practiced ghostwriting practices um, because the syndicate also no longer exists. Um, but uh, Simon & Schuster, who bought the rights from the syndicate much, much later and still produces most of the books, also uses um, the ghostwriter policies. Um, but how, even though that wasn't the best outcome of it, the most important fact that came out was that the world finally knew and finally learned 
that there were not only who was the original writer of Nancy Drew, but understood that there were multiple different writers that all contributed to the creation of this character, as well as the creation of many, many beloved series, including the Hardy Boys. So it was from 1980 on that Benson was recognized for her numerous works in female-led fiction and most notably was finally given recognition um, that she was legally bound not to say, I wrote Nancy Drew. Wow. Yes. So um, so Benson uh, continued her work as an author and a reporter up until her death in 2002 at the majestic age of 96. Um, she has been rightfully acknowledged as the first Caroline King with all the documents and historical references re-altered back to her name instead of Adams. Now, this is not to talk bad about Harriet Adams. She kept the Nancy Drew series alive and going for many, many years. While her claims may not have been accurate that she was the only author, which was a downright falsehood, she did write um, the later books of the series and did help Nancy Drew remain popular and on the shelves and off the shelves in lots of kids' hands. Okay, now back to Benson. Uh, Benson um, has been uh, has been uh, dutiless, dutifully honored, uh, and not just posthumously, which is which is what makes me very happy when people aren't just acknowledging people after they've died. Right. Um, but shortly before her death, um, she did receive many um, notable awards, including the Agatha Award as well as the Edgar Award uh, by her literary peers for her great work in um, in uh, in mystery literature. And on an even greater note, this badass lady was also an aviator, a trick aviator, and flew well into her 19, well into her 70s. What the fuck? Yup. Uh, she took many solo trips as well as used to do her own mid-flight tricks, including loops, including corkscrews close to the ground, and including quick dives. Uh, she almost also got sucked into her tornado once because she's a fucking... What? crazy amazing awesome human um Holy gutsy crap. yep gutsy quick as a whip and true to herself she may not be nancy drew but she acknowledged both humbly and proudly that she was so happy she could create such a particularly strong role model for so many young women so i almost cried writing that line and i almost cried speaking it too i anyway. saw the emotion and i almost yep. cried <laughs> yep 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 um <laughs> So the reason I wanted to go um, into Benson was because I feel like it really captures the essence of why Nancy Drew is so important to Absolutely. you and me is, is, is because of women like Benson. Because there are women out there who in the 1930s said, fuck conventional life, fuck being the status quo, fuck being polite, fuck being this, this, this you know, this being of, of servitude, I'm going to live the life that I want to be. And I'm also going to live every single day and every single action to benefit me. And, and that is something that, that is powerful. And that is something that she put in, not just in Nancy Drew, as we saw, but in tons of other literary work, um, where, where they really wanted to create, create this essence of, of a different heroine, but also give the power back to the people who are reading this that you can be your own hero, that, that, that you can be the person to solve those mysteries, that you can be the person who has the strength to do this, who has the ability to talk back <clears throat> to, uh, to authority, who has the ability to hop in her blue little roadster or her fucking airplane and zoom around wherever the hell you want to go. 
and 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 this this in essence is Nancy Drew. Um, Absolutely. You know, so I I feel like I feel like I know that was a rabbit hole, and I know that it wasn't about Nancy Drew, but it is about. But Nancy it Drew. Oh, it totally is. It totally yes. is. It's the complete backstory of Nancy Drew. I mean, like, also you gotta understand that like all all of what you said is accurate and on yep. top of that Nancy was and is a character that showed that you didn't need a man to solve the problems that were presented to you yes. and at that time period like patriarchy was strong yeah. like women relied on men because men created a, a society where women had to rely on them Right. And at that time, women were slowly starting to realize that that was completely and utterly false. Yep. And Nancy was a beacon of a strong female character that didn't need anyone else, anyone else's help. She could solve the problem in front of her. She could be a badass. She could fight the bad guy. She could get the bad guy. Yep. And and solve. And she the had the means. About to say, and she had the means to get there too. Yeah. She had the means. Um, you know, she had the independence to get there. She had the means yes. to get there. Yep. I mean, personally, for me, I loved. I absolutely loved like the role that Ned always had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both in books and in the games. In books and in the games, where he was just this dorky, supportive side character. Yep. He wasn't like he would. He would offer to help. He would offer to like assist but she never needed him no she never needed him and she was always smarter than him she would kind of bounce ideas off of him but he was never the one with the answers right and i loved how like passive he was because that just made it made it so much like more clear how badass nancy drew was and and even with like the crossovers that they did have with the hardy boys um and but their relationship between nancy um and the hardy boys it was very similar to the relationships that was nancy with Bess and with Bess um and george oh yeah where where it was very collaborative it was it was very um you know like tag you're it you're the leader this time tag you're it you're the leader this time or like that's a really good idea i'm gonna be super supportive of you let's do that yeah. and it was it was never there was never like an ego there, there no, was never there, and there was just, never there was never the Hardy Boys thinking that they were like better, better. or smarter or exactly. they had all the answers and they were just kind of letting her tag along like exactly. they wanted her help and it was even in the the one game that they let you have the Hardy Boys mm-hmm. in the game with you like they were like yeah they were like yeah. we need your help like I think it was also wasn't it also the train one I distinctively um, remember the Hardy Boys being oh on the, the train. Blue, the Blue Canyon? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, they, yeah, they yeah. needed her help Lost as much as... Blue Canyon. Yeah, 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 yeah. They needed her help as much as she needed theirs. Exactly. And it was it, it was always just that nice, equal footing friendship. It was it was never it was never this weird um, thing. It, it, and I, I think um, there was a bunch of articles that actually talked about it, was even the relationship with her dad, um, where her dad w- kind of had that same supportive thing, even even in in some of the earliest books. Yeah. Of of you know, hey, I got this mystery for you to solve. I'm busy at the office. You want to go poke your nose at it? Hey, you know, uh, I got you your car. 
you know, please be sure that you're home by sometime. And if you can't be, give me a call. Like, like it yeah, was, that it was freedom. Just, that freedom was, was just, not normal. And it was so supportive, but it, but it was just this nice like window of like, oh, this is how I could be treated. And it would be nice if I am treated like this. I think I should advocate for that. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, it just gave this, this nice, um, this nice alteration to what we're often affronted with, um, with growing up of, you know, don't hit boys back if they're, if they're teasing you, it's because they like you. Right. No, I'm going to smack a bitch back if they pull on my hair because I don't want them to do that. And I want them to stop. Also, so, don't ask questions. Don't be nosy. Stay, yes. you know, keep to Stay yourself. Be polite. Mm-hmm. Be quiet. Nope. I mean, these are all things that were that were are always taught to young girls, and to have something like Nancy Drew basically come out and tell you no, that's yep. not how ask it is. Ask questions. Be that inquisitive. Yeah, that doesn't have find to be, your answers. Yeah, yep. you don't have to be like that. You can be smart, intellectual, inquisitive, clever. And if people don't like it, that's their fault, not yours. Right. And that and, also and, means that they could be up to something. Uh-huh. And then there's then they're sneaky and you should investigate them. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Oh, I almost said what I always say. What what, what do I say, chat? We have to snoop. So. <laughs> we have to snoop. <laughs> we have to snoop. Uh but quick quick roll off of numbers, if I can. Oh yeah. In total, there have been five hundred and thirty-three Nancy Drew books that have been published as of two thousand and nineteen. Yes. 175 titles are under the Nancy Drew mystery stories that ran from 1930 to 2003. 47 titles have been under the Nancy Drew girl detective from 2004 to 2002. 19 titles are in the current series that started in 2003 called the Nancy Drew Diaries. Um, Specifically catered to young adults. uh, You had the Nancy Drew files. Uh, There was 124 of them from 1986 to 1997. Those were some of the more problematic ones. That's where she went from age 16 to age 18. And uh, she had some, like, there was the whole swimsuit one where everyone's just like, what is happening? Mm. Um, so it was a whole jettison. And it was a, it was, that, that's a whole episode in itself. Um, and then uh, from 1995 to 1998, there was the Nancy Drew on campus. Uh, that was 25 titles where they had her actually at college. Um, and then they had specifically for children, so this is 12 and under, um, they had 69 titles <laughs> from 1994 to 2005 called the Nancy Drew Notebooks. Uh, there were 30 titles uh, that ran from 2006 to 2015 called the Nancy Drew and the Clue Crew. Um, and then there were 13 titles that are currently happening under the Nancy Drew Clue Book series that started in 2015. They have also jettisoned into uh, graphic novels. Um, and there have been multiple different um, uh, other co- pop culture, um, not only pop culture references, but also different medium, including big screen movies, uh, television series, comics, pop culture quiz shows, Jeopardy, video games, lots of merchandise, internet forums, and fandom spaces, i.e. fan fiction. Don't ask how I know that. Regardless of literary changes, the essence of Nancy Drew still lives today. Um, Nancy Drew has also appeared in other series and books, um, including a number of spinoffs where she investigates with the Hardy Boys. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, uh, it is uh, so a lot of actual publications and um, and cell records 
uh, haven't been kept since uh, since like before 1970s. So it's kind of hard to actually tell uh, actual book sales that may have accrued um, throughout different publishers. Um, but they want to they want to surmise that the Nancy Drew novels themselves have sold anywhere from 60 to 75 million copies. Damn. Yep. Um, a mint copy of the original Secret of the Old Clock. Um, or any other of the Stratmire three uh, that were published in 1930 could fetch you a price of $5,000 or more. Easy. Just one book. Just one book out of the three could get you five grand. I have no idea what edition my mom has, but she has <laughs> one of those. If it's the if it's the yellow, if it's like the neon yellow um, cover, those are the republished ones. Um, if it's the ones that are brown and kind of have like really crazy script um, on the sides, those are the ones that are pre like 1947. Okay, I think she has the yellow one. Yeah, the yellow ones are the most popular. Th- those are the ones that that circulated the most. Um, Is that the one that got edited? Some of them, yes. Not now. I'm they're, upset. They're, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there, there were some other ones uh, when they re-released uh, Secret of the Old Clock that weren't as touched up as the 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 big one that happened in like the 1957 mm-hmm. or whenever that was 47. Sorry. Um, but there, there definitely were some some ones. There, there are um, available manuscripts of uh, the the Benson's original writing. Um, this is also to preface. Um, Obviously, this this also happened with Agatha Christie. This happened with um, with a bunch of other earlier um, authors. Um, there were uh, well, Agatha Christie had actual racial slurs in it. Um, uh, oh yeah, such uh, the profound use of the of the N word specifically in one of them. Um, yes, and um, yeah, um, <laughs> it wasn't Ten Little Soldiers. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, it was. I know. I well, that was because. We've been talking about Agatha Christie like games and stuff for a while, yep. and at one point I was like, "Oh, I'm pr- I'm just gonna do this one." I remember playing this game. I'm gonna do this one, and then yep. I looked it up and I was like, "I don't know." If I don't know I if I want to do this one now. Talk no. about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and then there were none. Um, it's a great game and a great book, um, but also yikes. But also big um, yikes. Yes. So, uh, so a lot of um racial stereotypes and um and certain verbiage and certain things have been cleaned up uh since some of the later manuscripts just because that that was a normal colloquialism and way of talking um Mm -hmm. then which is still inherently wrong it was wrong then it's wrong now um but uh unfortunately one of the other ramifications of this deep cleanse um of not only uh they they had like african-american uh housekeepers and like plantation settings and just kind of really weird uncomfortable shit um unfortunately during the rewrites they pretty much just removed all of that and there are actually zero characters of color in almost all of the nancy drew books in the original series um so they're 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 correcting the ills unfortunately overcorrected and completely whitewashed the series which um, obviously is is not good to make something completely monochromatic and um, and bland, um, but also that's really racist. Um, and I think this is a good point to also point out that we can love something and also want it to do better. Um, 
And I think specifically with the games, they did a lot better. Yeah, um, they did. At, at, at adapting that and making it, um, you know, not as whitewashed and uh, just, just not racist. Just yeah. not racist. Yeah. <laughs> I think they did a good job. I mean, it's a little, like, <laughs> it's a little stereotypical. I wouldn't yeah. outright call it call the games racist. Like the video mm-hmm. games definitely um, put a lot more people of color in respectable roles. Yes. Um, and but but in you know in some of the games where you go to like foreign countries, uh, there's I again wouldn't say racist, but definitely stereotypical. Yes. Definitely poorly portrayed at times some of the accents are like real bad <laughs> yeah um yeah. but you're right the German yeah. ones are yeah. laughable but everything else is pretty just like eat yeah um, but I yeah. I also I I totally agree like we can we can love a but at least they, and... but at least they they used voice actors of color though yes yes absolutely they they didn't just like they yeah they didn't whitewash that part they actually right. used voice actors of color so right yeah the games did yeah. a better job of being inclusive Way, um, way more inclusive. So yeah. So yeah. Um. Uh, what was my last point? Uh, I had one. I'm sorry. Um, in 2000, even as as recent as 2002, um, the first Nancy Drew ever published, The Secret of the Old Clock, still sold 150,000 copies. Damn. Still sold 150,000 copies in 2002. Um, which is pretty darn good and that's enough to be in the top 50 ranking of children's books um uh just as we said um about why nancy drew is important to us um there has been a lasting legacy of the novels um truly being able to inspire um uh, specifically prominent and successful women nancy drew has been cited as a formative uh influence for um three supreme court justices sandra day o'connor ruth bader ginsburg and sonia sotomayor uh, very uh, personalities, including Oprah Winfrey, Barbara Walters, um, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, First Lady Barbara, or uh, First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton, and also Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, and former First Lady uh, Laura Bush, uh, as well as Barbara Streisand, Beverly Sills, um, oh my gosh, Carolyn Hilbrun. Uh, there's so many. There's just so, so many, many people. <laughs> there, there's just so many, especially women, who have said, uh, I wanted to be a badass because I read this badass. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I'm going to stop talking now. Um, <laughs> I've been talking for a very long time. Um, but also, that is that is the literary history and, and magnanimous and wonderful influence um, of, of, of Nancy Drew and, and how it began and how it jettisoned off into different mediums. Opa. Speaking of different mediums. Yeah. <laughs> Lay it on, Zoe. Yeah. So, I'm taking a taking a dip over to the land of uh video games Mm because again we've mentioned several times that nancy drew has video games um and what would our podcast be if we did not talk about video games it's so true there's such a there's such a formative experience in our lives yes but also i find it very funny that um there's a lot of similarities with how the literary section was handled, or I guess the literary history was handled, just, like, 
so, so uh, that was me squeeing while Yeva was talking <laughs> earlier was just me being like, are you kidding me? Like, how yep. is this happening? How did they repeat this? Oh, um, because they just don't learn. No, they just don't fucking learn. Just stop. I've been, I've been swearing so much this episode. Um, yeah, th- I think this is our most swearing that between the two of us. This is the most we've sworn in our podcast. Uh, uh, I'm thing. sorry. It's explicit. I'm about to say I'm sorry for my parents and my bosses who are listening to this right now. Okay, cool. So Nancy Drew was made into video games. Uh, by Her Interactive. So Her Interactive is probably something you may or may not know. I have no idea. I know them very well. Yeva knows them. And if you have seen anyone play, or if you've played the Nancy Drew games, then you know what Her Interactive is. If you do not know, Her Interactive is a video game company based in Bellevue, Washington. And it was actually founded as a division of the American Laser Games company uh, until it eventually spun off as its own independent entity and it designed uh developed and published adventure mystery games based on the nancy drew franchise so american laser games uh was like a company that lasted until the mid to late 1990s they um getting involved with her interactive they began they wanted to make games for girls for the pc under the name her interactive and they began with uh, a game called mckenzie and co uh this was in response to actually a major slump in the arcade industry because actually american laser games prior to this had developed arcade games um they were and they had ended their direct manufacturing of coin operated games in November of 1995. Um, So they turned to focus on developing games for actually Sega Saturn and Sony PlayStation. And sadly for them, this failed to revive the company's money and revenues in 1996 were roughly half of the $16 million that they had generated in 1995 based on their previous, like, stuff. Um, so they pivoted in the wrong direction. Yes. Um, they, at the end of 1996, they laid off a third of their staff, um, and the company began to then focus primarily on her interactive, canceling all of their other games in their mainstream line, except for a game called Shining Sword. Mm. So the company eventually closed its doors and was bought out by her interactive, um, which had been like spun off again, as their own entity um, before American Laser Games had closed. Uh, and they, you know, they doing their own thing. Um, so Her Interactive had launched in May of 1995. So again, this was when American Laser Games was noticing that people were kind of straying away from arcade games and they wanted to focus on a new audience for games. So they um, launched... Her Interactive, uh, initially as games for Her Interactive. Mm. And then Her Interactive, once they started doing well, relocated in the late 1990s um, to Bellevue. Uh, I guess, I think it was American Laser Games was in, like, Texas or something. Oh, okay. So um, once Her Interactive, like, established themselves, they, like, pieced out. Nice. Um, their first title was Mackenzie & Co., 
And after they found initial success, they became independent, as I said. They made this game. They did really well. They peaced out. Mackenzie mm-hmm. and Co. was a full-motion video CD-ROM dating sim, sim game, like a simulator game. Uh, think, like, I don't know, Dream Daddy. <laughs> um, the plot was revolved... It, was it, like, the phone date game, but on PC? Yeah, kind of. Um, it was def- it was it was about pr- finding a date for prom. Oh, I'm looking at the snapshots. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. love it. Uh-huh. I love it. Oh so my the gosh. plot. Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. The pictures are amazing. <laughs> yes, they are. The plot revolved around being a high school junior, uh, and trying to find a date for prom. Um, so. At the beginning of the game, the player chooses between being one of two playable characters. You can either be Kim, the cheerleader, or Carly, who wanted to be an actress. Both characters have their own rooms in the game where they can read magazines, read their diaries, listen to voice messages, call people, apply makeup, and put on clothes. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm looking at all this while you're saying it. This is amazing. <laughs> We're going to have to add some... some screenshots or something yeah because this is awesome (laughs) so when they are away from their rooms the rest of the gameplay is actually through short video clips um so the player must choose an option of what to do or say at the given time and then the video would show the outcome so it was very much like um some of the dating sims that you might see today where you're prompted a question you click on it and then you just would watch what takes place it's not really as interactive as um typical video games Um, so then, uh, although major publishers declined to distribute the title, uh, they, uh, because they didn't believe there was a market for girl-oriented games, I'm not fucking kidding, a lot of major publishers did not want to put this game out there because they did not believe that girls would buy video games. Um, now, motherfuckers. This five CD game Mm -hmm. was actually successful. Uh, It sold 40,000 units by early 1998 and over 80,000 copies in its lifetime. So, granted, not a lot, but in in terms of, like, today's numbers. But at that time, that is a lot. As a physical medium, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, as a physical video game, that's actually really good for its time. Yep. Um, So, American Laser Games, uh, which founded Her Interactive, claimed that... Uh, it had feminist motivations, aspiring to help lead girls down the path of computers and technology. Uh, however, that was not uniformly well-received due to the first title being Mackenzie & Co., as some expressed concerns that it pushed a stereotype of what teenage girls are like, with the emphasis on makeup shopping and dating, which is fair. Like, fair. I can totally understand you know, having a company be like, hey, we want to make video games for women and aspire them to be more involved with computer and technology. And then the video Mm -hmm. game that they make is get a prom date. Um, So (laughs) I can I can see the like the disconnect there. I mean, it's kind of like being like, I want to make badass hero feminine games. And then you kind of publish Barbie's dream house you know like I get it I get it yeah that's fair so 
Of course, after the success of their first game, this now leads us to her interactive solely focusing on making Nancy Drew games. Now, I couldn't find exactly why they made the decision to go down this path, but I'm mm -hmm. assuming it's because they needed or they wanted to make games that inspired girls, that inspired girls to play games that maybe gave them a, you know, person to connect with or look up to uh, that they wanted to interact with. And based on the history that we just got of the Nancy mm -hmm. Drew series, it seems pretty fucking smart to make video games about Nancy Drew. Especially if you want a strong female lead to attract other females. Exactly. And I hate I hate saying that word, but girls. So if 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 you want if you want to attract uh people by something that is appealing, a good place to start is a strong female lead. Yes. Absolutely. So her interactive started making Nancy Drew games and they went on to make thirty-three plus they actually made 38 but um some of those were not the main nancy drew games yeah um so there are 33 main nancy drew games in their adventure mystery series and then they kind of dabbled outside of that making the dossier fi uh, mm -hmm. like dossier files uh games which were more so on the lines of like i spy yep um you would go into a room and you would like click a clue finder yeah it was like a clue finder um and they also made, like, some mobile games, uh, which I'll get into, and um, another, like, coding educational game that was, like, geared towards very young girls, um, which I'll also get into. So outside of her interactive, the game industry was uh, changing dramatically from when, it, when her interactive started to about 2015, obviously. However, her interactive stayed on a formula which is why I thought this was funny that this is so juxtaposed that um, their formula was Nancy was an unseen player character voiced by the same actress inhabiting an aesthetically similar world, solving two mysteries a year, never aging. And that was it. Like you would just, you would play a point and click style mystery adventure game. You would interact with characters. You would solve mysteries. You would, solve puzzles there were puzzles mm -hmm. in the game that you could solve you could pick between junior and senior detective junior detective would give you a to-do list as well as hints senior detective you were kind of left on your own um and they would consistently put these games like a they would consistently put two games out per year yes uh, one would be fall winter one would be spring summer and they did this for years mm -hmm. and it fucking worked and we especially ate, ate it, up. it up. Yes. Yep. So, Stuart Mulder joined as CEO in May of 2011. Now, again, they started making these games in, like, the late 90s. So, again, this lasted a decade. They were doing great. <sighs> Mulder joined as CEO in May of 2011 with the goal of diversifying the company's funding sources. Um... The game studio had been in, in the red for some time before he arrived, uh, and he was taking the place of Megan Geyser, who had been CEO for the previous 12 years. Geyser had established her interactive's reputation and production schedule, but even she hadn't been able to successfully adapt the Nancy Drew games 
to a next big platform, which they had projected to be mobile. Mm-hmm. Which I still don't really understand that because, like, I can understand the, like, appeal of mobile gaming. And, like, I understand that mobile gaming is a very large industry. However, I wouldn't say that that is the big platform to shoot for. I think it's, I think the main reason why everybody wanted to do it was because of how lucrative, if you look at things like uh, Cookie Jam and Candy Crush and Farmville. Oh, for sure. But, and like, all those Nancy were... Drew didn't need to be on a cell phone <laughs> but they but they also wanted to do they, they wanted to try to tap into that market of you know paying for clues yes. and yeah you know and getting hints and, and getting other um people who may not have a computer or may have a computer in the future to be like this is how i'm gonna wean you into the series yeah so I, I i can see it, it would be risky it would be risky especially with such a game format that they have for this to be like i'm gonna make an i spy where's waldo right for a mobile game so, could yeah. work, could not. Eh, yeah. So, I mean, and, and of course, like, the way that they had funded their company was strictly on investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had it, and these weren't investors that, like, expected a lot of money back. These were investors that basically invested in the company because they also agreed that women should be involved in gaming and be playing game or video games and have video games for them. So yep. these were kind of, like, believers with big pockets um however that didn't always mean that the company was staying relatively afloat so they were doing other things to try and get revenue and they had occasionally tried making games for other platforms like um, game boy advance which they made message in a haunted mansion Um, they made a game for the dvd player which was curse of blackmore manor Mm -hmm. Uh, they made a game for the wii which was the white wolf of icicle creek And none of these had been financially or critically successful on those platforms. Um, A few months before Mulder had arrived, Her Interactive had released a mobile port of an earlier game, Shadow Ranch, that had been adapted into a more casual, hidden object-style title, but the Shadow Ranch port went in the wrong direction. Um, It wasn't interactive or exciting, and it didn't achieve much in sales at all, and it did not make back in costs. So... They brought a new CEO in. Um, Also, Money Troubles, her interactive didn't own Nancy Drew. Nope. At all. Simon & Schuster still does. So Simon & Schuster did. So not only did her interactive have to pay Simon & Schuster royalties for each game, but the publisher wasn't even actively promoting the Nancy Drew series. So they had to generate their own publicity. Which means, like, fine, whatever. Simon & Schuster owns it. So you have to pay royalties, but you couldn't even advertise that mm-hmm. Nancy Drew had a video game, like. So anyway, wouldn't that help you out? Like right, knowing like that I feel like you, it would you, sell like more. You can books. promote the next book, like by I don't know. Yeah, that's that just that just seems like a missed opportunity, and and like that the company just didn't believe in her interactive's mission, and they needed a different insight. Right. So. Plus, they were, like, really good games. Okay, but that's beside the point. <laughs> that's beside the point. Um, so, like I said, Mulder came on as CEO to try and fix the financial situation that was happening with her interactive. Now, again, um, he came in to play in 2011. Um, so, games were still being put out twice a year. Still mm-hmm. going strong. One day, in mid-2014, according to three former Her Interactive employees, 
Mulder just didn't show up at the office. Which was strange, but nobody really thought much of it. And it would then take over a week for the rest of the office to learn that the CEO had abruptly decided to just quit. Okay. So he just left. He he said that it was that he wasn't accomplishing what he set out to accomplish and that it was devastating and so he just left uh, without saying a word. Okay. So that's mature. Penny Milliken which I can't say her name without sounding really frustrated. <laughs> that wanting to punch your computer. Yes. Penny Milliken had been a former Disney marketing director, as well as a member of the Her Interactive board before she took Mulder's place in 2014. She had plenty of experience, but none in game industry stuff. Like, none in the game industry. No experience mm-hmm. in the games industry. No experience in gaming. Nothing. And um, in November of 2014, one of the first things that Penny Milliken decided to do as Yama puts on her hood and hides. I hate this part. <laughs> so do I. Uh, the company made the decision to let Lonnie Manella go. If you guys don't know who Manella is, she had voiced the character of Nancy Drew since the very first game. And her last would be Sea of Darkness, um, which would come out in spring of 2015. I don't think anyone understands how pissed off the Nancy Drew community got that day. I mean... This was a beloved person. Like, Manella was Nancy Drew. Like, she yep. just was. Like, since the beginning. I think it, this, I mean, this was the point. They, th- this 32 games. 32 games. With the same voice actress. And would your be like- first decision as CEO is to let her go. <laughs> That would be like getting rid of Nathan Drake through like two thirds of the way through the uh, second game and then saying, eh, we'll see what happens in the third one. That would be like replacing Mario. Yeah. Like, like for, for all of these years that Mario has been like an established thing um, to just kind of come in and be like, yeah, he's just going to talk like someone from the Bronx and that's, that's how it's going to be. And you're just like, what? <laughs> like, he just. And, and I was like, I mean, just the forums, the back page forums, mm-hmm. the gaming clue help message boards, like just everything was just like, what are you doing? Everything was on fire. It was, it, cause it was, it was, it was like ripping the heart out of what made those games fun. And you couldn't really imagine a game that didn't have her voice. Yeah. Even when I think about those video games, I hear her. Like, I hear her talking. Literally. Like, like every, every time I hear it's locked, I I hear it in her inflection. It's locked. Every time. Mm -hmm. It's locked. Every single time. And it's just, um, and, and like, and there's, and there's a lot of dialogue interactions that stick with you. 
and you know and i've obviously played certain games 10 to 20 to 30 times over because i love them yeah and 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 there's always i always have that one anticipatory part i i love the interactions between nancy and professor hotchkiss in uh in the royal tower that mm. is just that mm-hmm. that is it is it is just primo just just oh god it's just it's so much fun and and she 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 gave not only a character the certain personality um but she gave it the spunk and she gave it the the suspect and she gave it like she she Her just inflection gave inflection on certain like she embodied everything. Nancy Drew mm-hmm. she embodied the character she had the right inflection on sentences she you know she had the right like when she was asking a question like she had tone to it yep. like she yep. embodied Nancy Drew she was Nancy Drew and it was a poor fucking decision. Yeah. So for the next game, Midnight in Salem, which, hmm, her interactive planned to find a Seattle area actress who sounded younger. They felt like they needed to take the series in a different direction and basically replace Nancy Drew with someone younger. They felt like she, they felt like Manila sounded too old, like that, that Nancy was supposed to be a teen. And so they needed someone to sound like a teen. But granted, again, like we're talking about 32 games ranging over like years. I understand that she's like ageless or doesn't age, but I mean, like she can be mature. (laughs) Yeah. She's jet setting across the entire world. She's not meant to be 14. And like, she's and she's smart and well versed and multilingual and like like she like you're you're allowed to have some type of sophistication. She doesn't have to sound uh, a certain way or like what a stereotypical young teenage. teen is supposed to sound right. like. Right. It kind of goes against the entire message of like what what her interactive set out to do to begin with. Yep. Which yep. was to not a very good feminist supportive message in saying, "Eh, you're too old now." Right? No, absolutely not. And also not a very feminist supportive message to be like, "Oh, well, you sound too mature. Like you have mm-hmm. to sound a, like younger and ditzier and like like a little kid because that's what we're portraying this innocence of a woman to be." It's yeah. terrible, 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 yep. terrible. And then the next terrible decision that Milliken decided to make was to switch the Her Interactive team to another game engine. Um, Nancy Drew Games had always been made on a proprietary engine that was developed by Her Interactive itself. And um, in 2015, this engine had not received many modern updates and felt clunky to use, which I'm using air quotes for that because I don't know who the fuck said that. Um... But uh, it says according to the people who worked on it, which I don't mm-hmm. know if that's necessarily true or not, but I don't know if Milliken thinks that it's clunky to use. Again, this lady had never been in the game industry, so maybe it was clunky to her. I have no idea. Is this the direct X? Is uh, this support stuff? What was the what was the game engine? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, I know that now. it was just internally developed. They used it to churn out every game. I mean, like it was it was a system. It was clockwork, you know. Like oh, the proprietary game. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Milliken began looking into a popular game engine called Unity. Huh. Now, just 
game design stuff for a minute. Um, so video games today are developed in um, a wide array of game engines, um, the most popular being Unreal Engine made by Epic and Unity. Um, Unreal Engine is very visual-based, Unity is very code-based. Um, it's very difficult to learn either of them, but it's also very difficult to learn Unity because it is very code-based. Um, however, a lot of studios will make their own engine and use their own engine to develop games so that they can kind of like do what they want with it. Um, I am very much of the mindset, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, <laughs> however, Milliken felt that in order to keep up with the current game industry that she didn't work in or understand, um, that they needed to update the entire system that her interactive ran upon, the entire formula that it ran upon, the entire, all of the, all of the things that they did, she decided that they needed to update in order to compete with today's market. Um, so they decided to switch game engines. Now, another issue was finding where to sell their games. And this was due to the rise of online digital copies being far more popular than physical box sets. Um, management felt that Steam took too large of a percentage for new sales on the platform to be profitable. And according to two former employees at Her Interactive, um, they decided to rely on their own online store. However, this was plagued with more problems and bad design decisions because yep. their online store was a hot mess. Um, games would disappear from the owner's digital libraries without warning. The store would force players to buy extended downloads, adding on $6 if they wanted to download the game more than once. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I mean, like, I remember you would purchase the game on their website and get, like, it would, it would get emailed to you. Like, yep. it was just, it was, it was weird and it was a mess. But that is how they sold their game so that they could keep the full profit. Um, then in late March of 2015, the layoffs began. Mm -hmm. um, now, I did read somewhere that they had let go 13 people, which is half of their studio. Wow. Um, in August of 2015, Her Interactive publicly announced that they were planning to move to Unity and said that the next Nancy Drew game, Midnight in Salem, would be out the following year. This is in 2015, just to preface that they said Midnight in Salem would be out the following year. Now, baffled fans reach out to Her Interactive to figure out how such a small studio, especially one that had lost half of its creative staff, was going to finish the game. And that's when things got fucking weird. Because suddenly, the company, uh, though they kept tweeting and posting on Facebook and publishing blog posts nearly every day, they completely stopped mentioning anything about Midnight in Salem. And anything, any news, any mention, any question, message board, anything, would ultimately disappear. Um, fans would start to ask outright, and uh, people were noticing comments getting deleted. People oh were noticing uh, posts being taken down. 
things that had previously talked about Midnight in Salem had also been taken down, um, except for the announcement that they were switching to Unity and blah, blah, blah. So in the midst of all of this mess, Her Interactive released a mobile app called Codes and Clues, yep. which was for an entirely different audience. And it reimagined Nancy as an elementary school student searching for a missing science fair project. A la uh, Dana sisters, the, yes. Dana, the Dana girls, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an educational game that taught basic programming skills and was not a, a story-focused mystery. Um, of course, this also did not get a, a very good reception due to the fact that um, all Her Interactive talked about was Codes and Clues, mm -hmm. as well as their dossier games. Yep. Um, again, no mention of the next Nancy Drew game. A lot of fans were really pissed off that they were spending so much time and energy promoting Codes and Clues and not giving any information whatsoever. Um, since Her Interactive had laid off its creative team, Codes and Clues was actually developed by F84, a mobile app development studio in California. So it was outsourced completely. Um, in the company's October 2016 letter to the fans, the studio said that it had made significant progress, in quotations, on the game's art and programming assets. Yeah, that's it. That's that's it. That's October 2016. So this is this is a year and two months after announcing the move from and also mind you, um, Sea of Darkness came out in spring of 2015. So projected based on the Nancy Drew formula, uh, mm -hmm. Midnight in Salem was supposed to come out Halloween of 2015. Uh, so by Halloween of 2016, the game was only under significant progress. It was still not out a year later. Jeez. In December of 2017, they put out a letter where Her Interactive teased the possibility of AR and VR being involved in Nancy Drew. Which yeah, because that's a focus. Oh my god, this sparked like the biggest outrage within the community because not only had it been now two years since a Nancy Drew title had been released, but not only did they have no update for the game's progress, but they started to tease VR capabilities, which mind you, as someone who works at a studio that does VR, <laughs> if you can't figure out how to make a fucking video game in Unity, you definitely can't figure out how to make a VR game in Unity. Just and saying. It's different there are different types of development there oh they can't go hand in hand you can't put a film over it and it's suddenly vr no like, no 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 you can't hit a button and be like oh my god it's vr now god like, as a as a as a web <laughs> and software project manager this is this is this is hurting my soul yeah mm -hmm. um so good lord so after years of delays her interactive said in um in that same letter that they were targeting to release Midnight in Salem in spring of 2019. Um, again, this is in 2017. Uh, so it's about to be two 2018. So like they're literally saying, oh, it's not going to be out in 2018, even though it's already been two years. Yep. It's going to be out in 2019. But yep. spring, but spring. Yep. Um, so 
It was. That was the, that was a head shake of frustration. If that got caught up by my mic, that, that, was, that was just a full just ah. It's fine. So spring of 2019 would mark four years since the 2015 layoffs and three and a half years since the originally announced release date. Um, now it being February of 2020, we know that Midnight in Salem did not come out in spring of 2019. It did not. In fact, in spring of 2019, they kind of pulled the same bullshit where they just kind of ignored the fact that they had said spring of 2019 and waited until about, I think it was June, before they said anything, which June is summer. I don't know if anyone over there realizes that. (laughs) I know it rains like 90% of the year up there, but like... June is summer. <laughs> I remember your tweet, by the way. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey! Hey, remember this? Remember you said this? Remember um, you not living up to your word and just backtracking again because you guys can't get your shit together? Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh... <laughs> um... <laughs> What they started to do on their social media was put out teasers at this point. So Mm -hmm. um, starting in summer of 2019, they started to put out teasers saying that they were going to just start revealing the characters from the upcoming Midnight in Salem. Um, But they didn't reveal characters. They revealed concept art. And what was even funnier was that a lot of the concept art characters um, didn't have the same names uh, that they did in the uh, eventually published game. Um, I believe the witch lady that's in the, like, the town square has, like, three different names at this point, um, over, over the time that they've been teasing this new game. Um, and again, outrage from fans was never addressed. They never, they just completely ignored the situation and acted as if it did not exist. Um, then, finally, uh, they announced that Midnight in Salem was going to be released, uh, in November, uh, with pre-orders starting in October, and they made this announcement with, like, a one-second trailer, yep. um, which was, like, title screen showed one of the characters talking and fading into black, and then they kind of showed the release date. Um, as someone who works at a studio, uh, I know that, um, yeah, if that's your trailer, that's all you got. Yep. Like, if you don't have a whole lot to show uh, or a I'm whole lot to work with. I'm not expecting a whole with, lot return. Yeah. Like, if you don't have a whole lot to work with, that means you don't have a whole lot, you know? Yep. So so I was, I was on edge when I saw that trailer. Um, and then in, I believe it was September? I couldn't actually find... It, but I believe it was in September, they announced that they were actually going to move the date again. They were yep. going to push it back a few weeks because they stated that in QA, they had gotten some feedback from QA that they wanted to implement into the final version of the game. And so they were pushing the game's release back a few weeks so that they could implement that feedback. Um this is when I gave up. By the way, this is, the, is that's this when literally when I, this that's literally when I stopped following. Like I I unfollowed them on everything, and I was just like I I cannot deal with this anymore. Yeah, 
And, the, and I mean, yeah. this was like people were like gearing up to pre-order. Actually, wait, <gasps> no, I think they announced this on the pre-order day. I think yeah, on it was day, on the pre-order yeah, day. Yeah, on day of pre-order, they made the announcement that they were pushing the game and that they were pushing pre-orders. So you yes. couldn't even do your. You couldn't pre-order. even purchase it. No, nope, you could not I even that. purchase it. On and like again, like how do you wait until the day that everyone's ready to hit that button? To put out a post that was like, oh, we're pushing in a few weeks and you can't buy it yet. Yeah. And I, 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 by then I was done. I was just like, I, 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 don't I lost my patience and I was just, I was so jaded by that point. I, I just didn't, I, I didn't know what to do anymore because yeah. it, it was it, like, I, I, like, I'm so, and, and I know, and I know for some people who may not have this with, with any type of fandom when you're so emotionally invested because you want to see the success because you want them to keep putting out games because you want them to survive because you want the thing that you want most to be um that when it just becomes so disappointing that you just don't have anything left there there is nothing more empty than that feeling correct and also like I understand from a development point of view that, like, you don't want to make your team crunch. You right. don't want to, um, you you know, when, when studios announce that they're pushing a game back, um, it's usually for good reason. It's usually exactly. to make the game better. It's usually yep. to, um, you know, it's usually worth it in both the sense of the game's going to be better and the people that are making it are not going to die um, trying to make it. (laughs) However, this is not one of those cases for the sole fact that half of the team was fired. They did not hire new team members. Um, Her interactive is a shell of what it was. Yep. Most of this game was outsourced. And after Four years, they were still pushing it. Four years. I mean, like, we talk about video games being pushed maybe six months or maybe a year. This is four years. With, like, no communication either. Like, their communication with fans was so poor. It was not honest. It was not upfront. It was not real. It was, let me hide under my desk and hope they don't notice. Um, and and I think most and and it's not and it's not that the, the the fan base is rabid. It's it's literally like if you tell us, we will be empathetic for you. Yeah. Like if 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 you had transparency and if you you gave us the the um, <laughs> if if you gave us the respect that we would like to show you, and you we would like you to feel it it would have been a little bit more reciprocal. Instead of, you know, and, and this is all management. I never, I never blame devs when it comes to, well, the thing is, is that there games. were no devs. That's the other yeah. thing is that there really <laughs> that weren't, there really yeah. weren't. Her interactive is currently, a, um, the company is currently marketing and, um, support right now. There are yeah. no devs. There aren't, there aren't like, you can't even blame the dev. Like, even if you wanted no. to blame the devs, you couldn't blame the devs. There are no devs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fair point so i mean this was definitely like poorly handled a lot and a lot of the outrage over the years was lack was around lack of communication it was never around pushing the game um so i i don't know what order we were going to do this in but i'm just going to just talk about Midnight in salem real quick uh just because we're already here 
Um, it is the 33rd game in the adventure series, um, and it finally was released on December 3rd of 2019, um, which is four years and three months after it should have been. Um, pre-orders began in, I believe it was like October, November. Um, it is based on the novel The Witch Tree Symbol, um, mm -hmm. which was the 33rd book in the Nancy Drew Mystery Story series. And the um, game was notably delayed, as I said, multiple times. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, it came out four and a half years after Sea of Darkness <laughs> with uh, the new voice actress, which is Brittany Cox, um, who... You know, I don't have anything mean to say. Right. But she's not Nancy Drew. We're opinionated. Yeah. We're opinionated. She's We're not opinionated. Nancy Drew. Um, yeah. So the synopsis of Midnight in Salem is Nancy Drew unexpectedly finds herself in Salem, Massachusetts, investigating an arson on the Hawthorne estate. The Hawthorne house was originally constructed by Judge John Hawthorne. Um... Uh, which actually, I keep saying Hawthorne, but apparently it's Hathorne. There's no W. Although when the game was first pitched, it was Hawthorne. So again, Hawthorne. lots of weird changes. Um, Hathorne, inquisitor of the infamous Salem witch trials and the final home to the 102-year-old Francis Tuttle, um, his last direct descendant. When Tuttle passed away, the estate became city property, and while the mayor was seeking a manager to oversee the estate, the home burst into flames. The ongoing investigation has turned up little evidence, but concerned citizens have accused May Perry of arson and are pressuring the police to arrest the secretive teenager. As Nancy races to uncover the uh, truth behind the arson, she discovers connections to the house's past with the Salem trials and finds herself drawn into a struggle with supernatural events that she simply can't explain. Nancy's convictions are put to the test about, uh, are ghosts real? Has Salem's dark history come to life? Or is there someone else to blame? Time is short and Nancy must find the answers before the clock strikes midnight. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Except... Sounds cool, right? Sounds sounds like an interesting game plot. Yep. yep. Sure. Um, yeah, it was also super interesting when they did it uh, a few f few games ago uh, when they made Alibi and Ashes. Yep. So, not only has That's a great game. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. Not only mm -hmm. has like has fans waited four years for this game to come out but to have a game come out and then the plot be basically a ripoff of one of their previous games where they are tasked with someone being accused of arson mm -hmm. and needing to solve who done it and clear Before their name. Before the clock strikes midnight. So it's basically one of their previous games. Now I played Midnight in Salem for an hour and 45 minutes. It's longer than I played. It's bad. 
And I have struggled with publicly saying and publicly talking about how bad it is, but holy fuck. Um, I, I'm going to be completely transparent in this moment and say that I was still really excited and still, hopeful. still hopeful that this game yep. was going to be something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to play it with my mom, which is a tradition that we have done my entire life. Um, we have played every single Nancy Drew game together. Um, we were, we've been waiting years. Um, literally, literally. I went through college. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally got two degrees before I got a new Nancy Drew game. <laughs> Just saying. Um, I still wanted to play it. And also as a content creator, I thought it would be really fun to promote Nancy Drew more so than I already do. Um, with the new release. So I actually had reached out to Her Interactive to try and potentially get either game codes for myself or to give away. Yep. Um, the marketing team was responsive because I actually knew someone who worked there. Um, and uh, I was technically given a code and therefore felt very uncomfortable about speaking poorly about a game that I was basically given for free. Mm -hmm. However, there's a little bit of a hiccup because mm -hmm. while technically, yes, I was given Midnight in Salem, I was given a copy of Midnight in Salem for free, mm -hmm. I actually purchased the game because on uh, in, in my correspondence with um, their marketing department, they told me that they could not get me a code early before the the release date mm -hmm. um but that I would have one upon the release date and I was like all right that's fine that's fair I get it um and my mom was only in town for a short period of time we wanted to play on the date that the game released and I never got my code until about 6 p.m on the day that the game came out so earlier that day, because my mom had to get on a flight, right. I purchased the game and we played for an hour and 45 minutes. And the reason why it is only an hour and 45 minutes is because that game was so god awful that Steam has a rule that if you play under two hours, you can get a full refund. So... I'm laughing. You can't see me. I'm silently laughing. <laughs> now, I, I get that it's very easy for someone to say that the game is bad and whatever, and it's like, oh, subjective. Um, so just to give some uh, examples, um, trees did not touch the ground. Uh, characters clipped in and out of geometry that they were interacting with. For example, a character was clipping in her car seat in and out of the car uh the same scenery passed behind the car uh the entire game looked as if it was not rendered um in terms of lighting or textures or anything it was a lot of very blocky um looked like sims 2 or maybe sims 1 <laughs> that's not a compliment that's not a compliment although i love sims <laughs> like 
I adore Sims, but, but but a game a game that's not meant to be a game from then, or like there's there's been that new horror game that was released um, that looks frighteningly terrifying, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but everybody wants me to play it, um, where it's supposed to look like an old uh rickety 90s like unreal type of experience Mm -hmm. like unless it's meant to look like that you're not doing your job right exactly there was no purpose for it to look this bad and i mean again like when you compare it to sea of darkness it is such a drastic difference that you are Mm -hmm. like what the fuck happened Mm -hmm. um so uh characters lips did not sync to words that they were saying um basic. in the na- basic basic in the neighbor in the neighborhood of houses the only house that was complete in terms of like models was the house you entered if you looked at your neighboring houses some of the houses didn't have doors and yes. some of them had doors but no stairs up to the door so it was just a door floating <laughs> with like a weird like brick underneath it um it was i the town square probably got me the most because you go into this town square and um, I understand copying and pasting character models. Like, it saves time. You obviously don't need to model 20,000 characters. No. You can take one character, change their clothes, change their hair, and just duplicate them around an environment. I totally get yeah. that. Um, that did not happen. Um, there were five people uh, duplicated around this town square. Um, to the point where you could look to your left and see five people and then look to your right and see the same five people in the same outfits, in the same hair, in the same colors. Um, and it was, it was just, I felt like I was in the twilight zone because I was like, like, there's Rebecca, there's Rebecca again, there's Rebecca over there. Like, I looked in a direction and saw three of the same characters it was nuts then <laughs> the worst part which actually is kind of my favorite part is you go into the town hall um you go down a hallway when you turn around in that hallway and look out the window you can see a character that is outside in a mm-hmm. t-pose mm-hmm. in a t-pose which if you don't know what a t-pose is that is how you like rig a character to be animated um, it is just standing in a blank T-pose. Not moving. Not moving. I mean, we're talking about basics. Um, and again, the entire game just looked as if it wasn't rendered. It just was unlit. Um, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Wait, no, I have to, I have to talk about this. There's more. There's more. <laughs> and it's so bad. Um, in gaming, uh, a lot of games will use um, like level of detail or mm-hmm. LOD. Um, mm-hmm. It's to um, save on, uh, like, it's basically to save on data so that not everything in view is um, highly rendered or um, high poly. It's to help with performance. It's to help with performance, yeah. So, like, a lot of people use the example of, like, a like a barrel. Um, mm-hmm. So a barrel is kind of blocky, super far away, because you can't tell that it's blocky when it's super far away. And as you get closer, it loads in higher uh, res versions of that one object. Mm-hmm. So that's what you would use. You would also use um, like depth of field to kind of blur, um, like with vision, um, blur out stuff in the background so that you can kind of like get away with stuff a- until right. your character gets closer. 
they used depth of field in a way that I have never seen before and never want to see ever again. Um, they just, it was as if they put a blur filter across the whole screen two inches from the character. Like, not far away, as in I'm farsighted and can't see that far. I mean, like, up close, like, you're interacting with another character, and the entire background behind that character is, like, as if I went into Photoshop and just blurred it out for mm -hmm. fun in a really messy way. Like, we're talking about, like, I felt like I was looking at face-tuned images. Yeah. Where someone with their finger on a phone screen just, like, blurred the background. And I, I feel like um, for, for anybody who hasn't um, enjoyed a Nancy Drew game, specifically one of the older ones, just to also like give a little bit of context, none of the Nancy Drew games were terribly detailed because uh, they were, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack on that. They were very detailed, but you were limited in the spaces that you could go. Yes. You were, you were set in your story and you were set in your spaces to interact in specific places. So they spent a lot of detail, especially when it came to any of the puzzles or the people or whomever you're interacting with. If it was, if, if they didn't need to have people on it, like if you were in like any of the cafes or the bars or, or a restaurant right. or wherever, they just didn't make other people and just made whatever you were going to interact with, but gave you ambient sound. Right. So, so, so all of this added crap that that Zoe is 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 talking about is that's never been in a in an old game. No, no. That, and that, also that, the that... the old games, a lot of the environments were were flat. They were. Yes. I mean, we're not talking about like a difference between like you go from I don't know like Halo Five to Sims, like. We're, right. That it's not that like, but we are talking about the fact that you went from a very creative. I would still say higher quality. It is um, a higher. It is. It is. It a, is I, I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said lack of detail because no, it, but it I is mean, like, very it's, detailed. It's, it's very detailed, but like it's not. It is not. It's not the greatest looking game in compared to what we have games today. But right. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not terrible, and it got better over the years. And like, yes, the environments were more so flat. Mm -hmm. Um. There were, like, flat images because it was a point-and-click game. You would, like, move through stuff and whatever. Right. It wasn't really about the art, whereas, like, the new game is a 3D environment. You move through a 3D environment. Um, you interact. Like, it's it's all very – they're trying to make it more immersive by having you feel like you're actually in the game like you would in any other AAA game kind of thing. But it right. completely misses the mark. Yeah. And um, in an hour and 45 minutes, we did not find a single puzzle. That's, that's terrible. If you, that's, that's the linchpin. Like, and it's, it's, you know, the, the reason why we want to play these games is because we want to find the mystery. We want to know the story and we want to fucking solve it. Yeah. And if you can't find the main game mechanic that's supposed to get you invested in the game. We just kept talking to people. Why the hell am I paying for this? We just kept yeah. talking to people. And apparently I was watching someone else play the game and um, we could have found a puzzle, mm -hmm. um, but we had to look up. And over, like, like you had to, like, move the camera in a certain way that, like, no one would ever think to do, even in a game that has that. Like, yeah. I understand, like, Nancy Drew has never had those, like, 3D capabilities, but um, even in a game that has 3D capabilities, I would never, if I'm clicking on a trash can, I would think that I could look in that trash can. 
I wouldn't think that I'd have to yeah. move my character up and over to look down look into, into the trash it. can to then look at the like it's and, it's a whole thing. And also that wasn't even really a puzzle. Yeah. It was just paper that you had to like rearrange. I I don't know. But anyway, so this is how bad that game was. Um, I'm very upset about it. Uh, I did. I, I didn't talk about it openly because I felt guilty about having corresponded with her interactive. Um, but in in the long run, I still technically had to pay for the game. Um, mm-hmm. And I still and and there were some other stipulations that they actually never um, came through on, which is why I felt like I didn't have to stream it um, because there were stuff on their side that they never actually did um that they right. said they would so it kind of was like null and void um but i was me and my mom were just heartbroken and just heartbroken over waiting and, and again like i have a deep love for what her interactive did for women i have yes. a deep love for 32 nancy drew games and I will repetitive, repetitively play them and tell people to play them. Yep. I will not tell people to play Midnight in Salem. Yep. And I was heartbroken to have waited four and a half years for that. To be that, that disappointed. Yeah. Yep. It was, and that, that is, that is what happened. And then... Just two months later, a month and a half later, we're met with another tragedy. <laughs> yeah. So, remember when I said all of these uh, these wonderful other mediums and, and things are picking up this IP and reaching out to Simon & Schuster and saying, hey, you know, with her interactive, they said, hey, I want to make this video game. Uh, one of the coolest mediums that people have been reaching out to are graphic novels. Um, I think that that's a nice way to find another readership. I think it's a great way um, uh, to, to, to really bring um, something different. Um, you know, you, you have your books and you have your video games, and now you can have something that's kind of like a book that's, artist, or that's artistically drawn and experiential like a video game scene would be. Um, I'm very supportive of, of the graphic novel industry. What I'm not supportive of is the story choice that they decided to do on the 90th anniversary of Nancy Drew. Now, this graphic novel is not out yet. It's coming out in April. I will be buying a copy. Solely for the purpose to see why the fuck they would choose on the 90th anniversary to kill... Nancy Drew. And then have the Hardy Boys, who have been riding her coattails for 90 years as a less successful series, a very successful series, but not as successful as Nancy Drew. Um, Why would that be a good decision to make in the celebratory nature of a 90th year celebration of one of the most prolific detectives since Sherlock Holmes. I shit you not. I shit you not. People have said that, that she is the most important literary character 
in mystery since Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. That is how pivotal she is. Yeah. You can say Perot. You can say that, but in turn, you, you can say, you can say, um, you can say Mrs. Marple. You can say a whole bunch of other people. I know more people who know Nancy Drew than they know Mrs. Marple. Yeah. And I well, love both of them. Don't get me wrong. They're not mutually exclusive. They're both absolutely wonderful um, icons in their own right. So this is what Zoe and I had a fucking conniption fit about. <laughs> we had a hard conniption fit. Because this is a perfect example of what is known in the industry, industry as bridging. This is where you take a female-led IP, intellectual property, a storyline, whatever, and then you do something with them, and then you turn it into another male-centric, modified version of the story. Um, and and as as I think we've been able to get along, as, as much as this is a love story um, for Nancy Drew and, and all of their, the wonderful adventures uh, we both have had with them, and we may just be coming to grips with the fact that it is it is something that is not having the greatest potential end send off. But I think it's important to note that if it has a new movie, if it has a new television show, if it's re-entering the sphere of media and has a nice good resurgence, the thing you shouldn't do is kill it off and give it to two white boys. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. So it's 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 a concept that is so downright infuriating that you and 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 I have hope. I have hope that it is all a head fake uh to use a wrestling term. I I have I have uh I have a a, a hope that it is a that that it is a work. I have a hope that that there's a spin at the end of it that she's actually alive and she comes back and she maybe saves Joe because he gets in a pickle or some shit but but from to to have to have the the next awesome thing to come through after being potentially disappointed for like the past 5 years with everything that's come out with Nancy Drew um to have that and then to just be completely confronted with this and then told by people who said both Zoe and I were overreacting oh, yeah. to basically shut up and just deal with it. We just don't know what the story is. We will not shut up because we love Nancy Drew and this graphic novel is saying Nancy Drew has been silenced Yeah, and we don't support that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also like as someone who like understands um, comic books and graphic novels and, and the way that reimagining works um, mm -hmm. in, in the art world. Um, this is not a reimagining. One of the people that was telling me to just stop overreacting had, had made, the, made the suggestion of like, well, what if, what if they replace Nancy Drew with like another, another female? Almost as if like when they replace Captain America with somebody else who mm -hmm. takes on the mantle of Captain America or, t mm -hmm. you know, they replace Iron Man with someone who takes on the mantle of Iron Man. It's like, okay, but, like, they're not taking, like, you didn't introduce another strong female character to take the mantle of Nancy nope. Drew. You killed her. 
and you had her two white friends come in and try and solve her mystery. And again, yep. we don't know the story. We could get, you know, we, we could be duped and, and in the end she's really alive and she faked her death and blah, 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 or whatever. The issue, though, is that we you don't know that, that. Or, well, we don't know that plot until mm -hmm. April. And you would use her death as a marketing ploy yes. to boost sales. Yes. As well as you announce the death of Nancy Drew on her birthday. Yeah. That got me. Because it's not, it's not any other day where you're just announcing, hey, we're doing a spinoff. Nancy Drew gets murdered. The Hardy Boys solve it. Like, it's a spinoff. It's a reimagining. It's a Hardy Boys mystery. Like, you're not doing that. You're stating that this is a Nancy Drew mystery where Nancy Drew is not the lead. Correct. And that, to me, is fucked. And to announce it on her anniversary, which is supposed mm -hmm. to be a day of celebration for all that Nancy Drew is and all that Nancy Drew has done, you fucking murder her? And all that proves to me is that you have something cooking for the Hardy Boys and you're using her better recognition in order to potentially promote something for the Hardy Boys that is gonna be a show that's gonna be their reintroduction into maybe her television yeah, show I've never them, fucking watched it that tries to so, make them relevant exactly so you're 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 using the clout of a better character to bring up two not great characters in terms of recognition and stomping all over that yeah. And and expecting us to just lay there and wait for it. And, and a point that I was making to uh, Yava when this whole thing went down was <laughs> Nancy Drew has always been smart. Yes, uh, has always been clever. Has That's always, you know, like in the in the um, movie with Emma Roberts. I mm -hmm. mean, she almost dies like three times, but she gets out of it because she's fucking smart. Yep. Um, in the Nancy Drew games, you almost die all the time. But the yep. point is, is that you get out of it because you're fucking smart. You're going to tell me that Nancy Drew died not from old age. <laughs> like, you're going to tell me that she got herself into a situation where she was murdered, where she yep. was not, she did not outsmart the other person, which I get, I get not everyone's perfect. I get, you know, like, sometimes you can be the smartest person in the room and still get outsmarted. I understand that concept. I understand, like, I'm fully aware of that. But we're talking about a fictional character that has always been better than their foe yes. for years. And you're going to tell me that she got murdered. And not only did she get murdered, but she got murdered in a way that nobody fucking knows what happened. Except the Hardy Boys? Except the Hardy Boys? Fuck you. Like, like, Fuck you. At not least, only, at least have like... Fine, like she she didn't get out of like like fine. She got murdered. She she couldn't outsmart the the evildoer. Like yeah. fine, whatever accidents happen, I understand. Like she gets killed, but you're gonna tell me that she got killed in a mysterious way, mm -hmm. and, and the only people that can solve it are the Hardy Boys. I mean, fuck. I would have rather you killed off Nancy Drew and had Bess and George solve her mystery because at you. least they know what's up. Like at that least was literally what I was about to up. say. That's literally what I was about to say. Like, if, if you wanted to bring up another, if you wanted to bring up someone for another spinoff, then it could have been Bess and George. It could have. They're great. They're 
great. They would have been a comedic duo. They still would have been female role models. um, And they would have been more emotionally invested in the story as well because they are her go-tos. Like, like the Hardy Boys are barely... I couldn't call call the Hardy Boys in every game, but I sure as fuck could call Bess and George. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You call Ben. I mean, just because Ned's very supportive. Well, yeah, but like even Ned's not gonna like step in. Like, I mean, I just this is what sparked this entire episode to happen was the the uh, this announcement, and this announcement came right before we were recording. Um, And it's and it's it's just it's just one of those like like it it's and and I hate to to just use this phrase but it's 20 goddamn 20 and if you haven't learned that you can't use women's work and erase it to promote men you're an asshole you're just an asshole um so i just i just yeah so i just don't understand i it's it's one of those and and again and i will reiterate maybe Zoe and I have just been so in love with this series and maybe we have blinders on and maybe there's, um, you know, some level of fanaticism, but I will emphasize again of just how critical and important this character is to being who we are and to, to millions of people being who they are. And also you know, how critically important this character is for people who may not know her. Like, yes. and may not, like, like this is not just critical for people who have grown up with Nancy Drew, but this is critical for people who could grow up with Nancy Drew, who haven't yep. learned about Nancy Drew yet, but could take away the same messages that we took away exactly. growing up. And also, we're coming off the coattails of, as I stated, a, vi- a very highly disappointing moment in the Nancy Drew fan base, um... Which was Midnight in Salem. I mean, mm-hmm. again, this announcement is coming a month and a half after Midnight in Salem. We were, we're all already upset. <laughs> we're already upset. And then a month later, you kill her. Like, we're just... We're, and, and again, like, we don't know the plot. We don't know the end. Um, we won't know until April. But even if at the end you bring her back... You still killed her on her birthday, and that will like that will forever sit with me, in a very. And this is not yeah, and, sad and this way. is not a spinoff, and this is not a merge of two stories. This this to me is is an affront, saying, "Well, we don't really believe in Nancy Drew that much. Let's try to find something different." And right. I don't like that. No, I don't like that either, especially with how relevant she is. Yeah, like if she's if she's still, I don't see a Hardy Boys TV show. <laughs> so I'm saying. All I'm saying, I don't see a Hardy Boys TV show. Um, it's because it's it's Riverdale and it's actually uh, it's actually Jughead. So. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> even then, I like Jughead I don't for know. it. It's fine. I mean, I I, like... I love Jughead, but like I, he's he's the one writing the story. He's not exactly the one solving the mystery. Ah, that's fair. That's a fair point. So also, also we all know my favorite character, Sherry. Um, <laughs> let's be real. Uh, yes. Um, but I would, I would like us to end at least on a good note. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Thank you. So... Thank you also for, for listening to us rant. We, again. Yes. This is a, this as... is going to be a longer episode than, yes. than most, uh, than our previous ones. So if you've made it this far, we really appreciate that. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed, uh, us ranting thus far. 
Um, it is definitely a different, uh, it's a, it's, it's a different topic this time. So, um, if you made it this far, thank you. Thank you. Um, we are going to end on a more positive note by just telling you our favorite Nancy Drew game. Mm -hmm. Um, so Yeba, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, oh my goodness. So my favorite Nancy Drew game is actually number trace number three in this, in the series. Uh, we're going way, 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 way back. Um, and it is uh, Nancy Drew message in a haunted mansion. Yes. Um, it's it's the first one that's that's in my in in my opinion is truly scary. I know some people were, excuse me. I know some people were pretty spooked. Um, with the uh, uh, stay tuned for danger. Um, especially in the end uh, sequence when you're in the dark and there's some scary things happening and you have the potential to die. Um, and all that great stuff. Um, but. Uh, just to give a quick synopsis of it, um, is uh, Nancy Drew is uh, invited to go to a family friend's house in order to help um, bring about an old mansion and help turn it into the bread and breakfast that a family friend is wanting it to to be. Um, there's a lot of really weird happenings um, going on, but the guests that are in the house, I don't even need a synopsis for this. I just know it off the top of my head. Um <laughs> is uh, you have a seance practitioner, you have a uh, suddenly very easily uh, affordable handyman, um, your your investment backer, uh, also also as a, a banker and an antiquer, um, as well as the bed and breakfast owner are all staying there with you. Uh, as you're there, you get a suspicious message shoved under your door uh, saying, get out now. And uh, being to true to Nancy Drew's nature, you're like, uh, I'm not going to leave. I'm actually going to find out who wrote me this letter. I'm going to kick their butt. Um, so as you go through, you learn uh, the history of the place. You learn um, that there is, is a, a certain um, character named Valdez. Um, and as you also walk through the house, you notice some really strange things happening. Shadows out of the corner of your eye. Paintings start blinking at you. Um, once you walk past a mirror, there's a ghostly figure that actually greets you. Uh, and then actually after a seance, some really weird stuff starts going missing and suddenly a different door start opening and you're just not quite sure where they lead. Uh, it is by far my absolute favorite. It is actually a game that I can play in one sitting easily. I can beat it in under two hours, no problem. Um, I love the puzzles. I love uh, just the absolute atmosphere of it. Uh, there are still some jump scares that get me to this day. Um, the whole reason I got my uh, new laptop was so I could play it. <laughs> um, and I can, I can, uh, I can backport it and, and do the do the thing. So um, it's, it's by far my absolute favorite. If you, if you want a good scare um, and you want uh, really good puzzles and actually factual, which is this is what I enjoy most of of most Nancy Drew games is actually how factual it is. I actually went on a vacation once where they tried to quiz us to read a Mayan calendar, and I could because I learned it from the Secret of the Scarlet Hand. <laughs> and I shit you not, oh my, my entire family was around me when that happened, and they were like, "You're a fucking nerd," and I said, "Bitch, I know." So that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, find your birthday. And I found it in like three seconds. That's Great. amazing. Um, so if, so yes, so it's, it's, it's a game, uh, with a lot of heart. It's one of the oldest, um, ones yes. that that's up there. And it's one of the oldest ones that has not been newly ported. 
Um, so I think that that gives it its own little little love um, in that aspect as well. So if you want to if you want to start somewhere, uh, that one and the Ghost Dogs of Moon Lake are are definitely uh, some of my favorites. That so. one's also good. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Zoe? My favorite is actually the eleventh game in the series. Um, it is the Curse of Blackmore Manor. Yes! It is my absolute favorite. Um, Alchemy Baby. Actually, which is super funny because it was probably the game that scared me the most when I was little. It's pretty pretty, uh, unsettling. It's spooky. Um, And also, the girl's pretty creepy. Oh my god, so creepy. (laughs) (laughs) So creepy. Everyone's creepy. Um, But Nancy Drew travels to England to visit Linda Penvalin. Um, which is uh, her neighbor's daughter and newlywed wife of a British diplomat. Linda is currently living in Blackmore Manor, a 14th century mansion haunted by a tragic past. Um, A mysterious uh, milady keeps Linda hidden behind a thick bed curtain um, as she is, like, suffering from some sort of ailment. Um, And you are tasked, as Nancy, to um, kind of figure out what menacing threat is stalking her in fact upon like the intro of the game as you're at the gate of the manor like you are you see or you hear a growling and you turn around and you see red glowing eyes and then it like disappears um so you're already like right off the bat spooked out um the whole mansion is like hella creepy um it's got like this really crazy like uh, green room garden mm-hmm. type stuff um the fountain yes the fountain mm-hmm. um there's this child that you interact with who's like secretive and sneaky and kind of bratty and it's great um but like linda you you have to interact with her like while she's behind this curtain and you're so confused as to like what's going on with her and what she's clearly like ill um but sh- there's like some sort of threat that's like happening and and there's like some weird mystery stuff going on and the whole mansion is like super creepy and like there's um there's hidden tunnels and there's like creepy shit underground um but i remember the thing that creeped me out the most which is actually one of the reasons why i to this day do not like peepholes is there is a scene in the game where spoilers you look through a peephole and it's a jump scare where her hand reaches out to grab lotion and it is just covered in hair and like it's like it doesn't sound scary but what the music just looking through a peephole and um, her gasp the gasp like the 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 all of a sudden hand in in like camera uh or in frame uh just the whole thing is freaky and like you don't know what's happening and you're in this creepy ass cave and like the just the whole like aesthetic of the entire um game is like creepy and mysterious and you don't know what's going on um and and there's like astrological stuff which i love in this game as well um so there's a bunch of astrological stuff um Overall, the entire game is so good. I mean, like, I have, like, more favorites, of course. I've played so many of them. Um, but, but yeah, they're just, they're great. Um, every game has a Coco Kringle. 
that's one of the things that I am like the, the, I find to be the most important thing about the Nancy Drew series, uh, video game wise, is the Coco Kringles. Yes. Um, wait, which wait. are like glorified crunch bars. Do you have one wait. on you? Wait, <gasps> wait, wait. Yes! Oh, I'm I so proud one. of you. I have one. I'll take a picture with it. It's still sealed. It's still fully 100% sealed. I'm so proud of I, you. I got this one, is and I the only chocolate that has ever survived my apartment. I got one and I opened it. <laughs> I needed I to not, know what I've it tasted it. like. I've never opened it. I think my mom still has the wrapper. I don't know. But also, I can, needed can to know what it Can we also talk about like. a quick moment how much love that we have for Sunny June? Yes. Oh my god, yes. Okay. Aliens Great. forever. Awesome. Aliens forever. Um, um, but yeah, no. It, Coco Kringles are the must. I will say that the one good thing about Midnight in Salem was that I did see a Coco Kringle. That's good. So consistency is key, but also fuck that game. Um, a Curse of Blackmore Manor was also uh, loosely based on the book The Bluebeard Room. Yes. So that's another thing. And it sold between 100,000 and 300,000 units by August of 20, uh, 2006. So it sold a lot. It did. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my favorite one. Um, and, I, and to continue ending on a positive and I swear to God, I will shut the hell up and you can be done with this episode. Um, I think to spin all this in a positive light, because that's what I do, um, the fact that Nancy Drew has been faced with such adversity um, and has been tried to be crushed and manipulated and um, changed and thwarted and and forcibly unsuccessful from bad decisions um but the fact that they are still relevant the fact that there are television shows the fact that we do have a platform where we can talk about these games the fact that when we do play these games on twitch we have people who are like man this is pretty freaking good and yeah. the answer is yes it is because the the effect of nancy drew is timeless and and the 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 pure essence of of inspiration and and the magnitude of of how inspirational this has been for Velma from Scooby-Doo for Veronica Mars for um you know so many other other modern inceptions of a strong independent resourceful smart take no shit woman and that fortification and that reinforcement in society is so freaking pivotal and i know if you don't agree with us and you're thinking well that doesn't matter anymore have that we clearly don't like we 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 have that but it's still necessary right so it's it's still something that has to be there as somebody who went to an all-women's college i'm still i'm still i still remember being faced with misogyny from fellow women while I was there. Just because it existed doesn't mean we don't need it still. Yes. Like, it, 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 just because yes. it was a thing doesn't mean it doesn't still need to be a thing. Yes. Um, so that is why we take it very, very seriously. Yeah. But we love the crap out of Nancy Drew. Yep. Still, despite flaws and disappointments, we will still forever love and appreciate and hold this to such a high level of importance. 
Yes. Um, so if you made and it to the will, end. Yes, we will scrutinize for love. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so if you made it to the end, thank you guys so much for listening um, to our fifth episode. Um, we're just so thankful. Make sure to, you know, follow and subscribe and leave a good review. Um, and we just, we, we hope that you have a great rest of your day, night, time, everything. Have a, have a good time zone. Have a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, check out some Nancy Drew if you haven't, um, if this made you want to, um, definitely check out some of our favorites, uh, play the games, read the books, all that jazz. Um, and now hopefully you, you know more and have enjoyed listening to us talk about it and, um, we'll see you in the next episode. And we promise we'll bring back a good copious amounts of murder. Oh, lots of murder. Yeah. 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 Don't worry. Tons of murder. Yep. Yep. This was preservation for our souls. So thank you for listening. (laughs) Thank you so much. And stay sloofy. Yes. Have a good night. Bye.